Welcome, Highfalutin Ski Bum Podcast. It is episode number 129, and it is your pals, Mario and Brian. Mario, what's up? Uh, feeling good today. We had an action-packed day, had a nice interview, talking throughout the day. We got a lot of shit going on. Yeah, we uh, we already had our, our main topic that we interviewed, and we'll talk about it in a little bit. Check us out, skibumpodcast.com. On the socials, Instagram.com slash podcast, Facebook.com slash podcast, Twitter.com slash podcast. We are on Pinterest as the Highfalutins, and we are on SoundCloud as Highfalutin-Skibum. So with that... It's time for our Pray Today. Mario, you want to kick it off? Yeah, a little operate today. So if anybody's following Instagram, you've been seeing that I've been operating quite a bit this week. Um, I kind of had a busy, what was it, Tuesday or Monday? I don't even remember what day it was, but I had my own little Tour de Franzia going on. A little bike ride and about four breweries, and <laughs> some bars and some video games. Uh, but today I took it a little easy. I, I was still out for happy hour early. Um, Brian was a little worried. He's like... How many is that for you? I'm like, no, no, it's all right, man. I got it on the after, after the high lie, high lie, uh, vanilla. <laughs> high day. Yeah. Uh, no. So today I actually, um, went to a local beer store and I was like, you know, it, it looked like a little, little crummy beer store, but they advertised they have craft beer. So I went and I'm like, yeah, let's see what your version of craft beer is. They actually had some legit stuff on there. Like Kalik gold. Kalik, no, I found that at Publix today. Oh, that was Publix? Yeah. I was like, oh, man. That was, was like anybody... seven, collect gold is like 7% too. Is it? Mm. When I was on my honeymoon in the uh, Bahamas, I was at, you know, the sandals. The only beer they had was Kalik gold. <laughs> and I was like, after like a week of drinking it, you're like, I, my stomach can't stand it. Like, I need some other beer. So like somebody had Heineken for some special event. I snuck in there. I was like drinking Heineken's. I'm like, I don't really like Heineken, but it's better than this other Kalik beer. Yeah, it's so, like the official beer of the Bahamas, right? Yeah. So they, that's all they carry. So I'm sitting there, I'm talking to the bartender one day. I'm like, look, man, this is killing me. Do you have any other beer other than Kalik? He's like, we have Kalik light. <laughs> I <I'm> was <laughs> fucking went over the bar, man. I would kill them. <laughs> so I sent a picture to, to, to my ex today. I was like, look what they had in public. <laughs> We joked about that for years. Holy crap. But anyway, so I went to this little, uh, little beer, little, um, liquor store and, uh, yeah, they had the, the top link alive pseudo Sue. Nice. So if anybody doesn't know, I talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, uh, and actually looking at it a little bit more, I realized, so number one, I guess one of the reasons they have it here is, um, there is a big brewery that brews for them in Tampa area. So I guess that's why it's here. Um, and we talked last week about uh, in St. Pete, they're doing a collaboration with some museums, some of the breweries. And they're going to do it. I guess they're going to do the beers based on mosaics that they have. So this beer is actually Topping Goliath brewed it in conjunction with the Field Museum in Chicago. And the reason it has the big dinosaur on the outside, the big uh, purple dinosaur, is because uh, the museum has a dinosaur named Sue. So they named it Pseudo Sue. And uh, it's a really good IPA. I tell you, I like this. Uh, this is probably like, this is top five for me right now. Really? Yeah. It's wow. that good. If you find it, dude, you got you to gotta get some. 
Got to get my hands on some then. I got to say it's, um, it's actually not an IP. It's a pale ale. So it's not as hoppy, but it's hoppy for a pale ale. I got to say it's, it, it's almost like in the IPA range, uh, but it's smooth, you know? Very nice. So I'd say it's a few steps down from sip of sunshine, but it's up there. I'd say top, I'd say top five. It's, wow. just, it's, it's number five for me, maybe. Very nice. Probably being the summertime, being a little lighter is a, is a good thing too. Yeah. All right. How about you, man? So I'm keeping it light today and I'm also continuing my trend this entire month. I have only drank treehouse beers on we'll podcast. I've been inside that treehouse all summer, all July. So this week, you know, most of them, uh, you know, they're known for their IPAs. But this one, this is Eureka, which is an American blonde ale. So let's crack her open. Ooh, definitely, you know, for like a blonde ale, it, it's got a really strong, like citrus scent to it. Um, oh, cool. A little, it's not of, a little bit of hops. Yeah, more uh, more hops than, than wheat. Well, it's an ale, not a, not a white, right? It's very, very light. Very just smooth, a little tropically, but it's funny. Like you drink something like this after drinking like a double IPA, it tastes like nothing. <laughs> yeah, this is water. You yeah. drink these all night. But it's light and really drinkable. Um, but this will actually be my first apres of the podcast because it is also National Scotch Day. I don't know. Who, I don't know who declared it. I don't know who confirmed it. But why somehow, and for some reason, it's National Scotch Day, and I've got some. Glen Livet Nadura 16 year age scotch that I'm going to delve into probably later on in the podcast. But very nice. For now, I'm going to stick with my Eureka Treehouse. Five, is it, uh, has it been four or five podcasts we've done this this summer so far in July? I think four. I think we, we missed a week. So every, every podcast of Treehouse in July. All July has been Treehouse. So. Nice. And let me ask you, this week I saw you did a little opry on uh, on one of the days with a little tequila, right? You had a little tequila sampling going? Well, it was National Tequila Day. I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday, one of those days. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. You got a nice little selection there. Dude, and I actually got more after that because it was awesome. my birthday recently and people are still giving me gifts. And nice. I got another tequila. So I have like, I don't even know how many hundreds of dollars in really good tequila. So. Damn. I have to start partaking. One of the ones that I had in there, it's like a jalapeno infused tequila. And it's pretty strong. Like, you know, I, I mean, I like spicy food and I guess I like spicy drinks, but every time time you say spicy drinks, I never forget the knife and fork. Was it knife and fork we went to? Oh, was it like that margarita that I had or something? You had, I don't, it was, was it a sriracha margarita? Oh, some jalapeno margarita, I think. <laughs> it was, yeah, the same kind of thing. And you were just choking it down, trying to eat it with your, with your lobster thermidor. Like, dude, you can't. If you're not, if you're not enjoying it, don't drink it. Uh, it but you know what? It made the lobster thermidor taste better. <laughs> it was just funny because you're like, we could tell like you didn't like it. And there you are just like choking it down. It was rough. But so. I mean, you liked it, but not with the food and not that much. It was kind of one of those. I've ordered two of those in my life, two like jalapeno spicy margaritas, and I have not enjoyed either one of them. You still didn't learn. It sounds good. Right? But this one, so I, I got it as a gift to jalapeno uh, 
Blanco tequila. And it's like you open up the, the bottle and you just, it's, you just smell hot peppers. It's just wow. crazy jalapeno. And I tried drinking it straight or maybe like, I think like a, a cube or two. And it was just too spicy. Like it's yeah. really, really spicy. Well, so, the Blanco isn't the caramel. It's a very just tequila, classical, just right. The, no the, aging, yeah. the darker ones are, they have a whole different flavor profile, right? Yeah, because they're aged in barrels. So, so the Blanco, you're probably tasting all that. You're just heat. getting it all. Yeah. So I did put it in a watermelon margarita the, uh, the week before. And that was actually really huh. good. Really? Yeah. Spicy, uh, spicy watermelon. Yeah, that was good. But yeah, just drinking it straight was a little rough. So watching AOC beers with spicy watermelon, based on your comment, I saw one that I didn't get today that I was thinking about getting for next time. It's a stout or a porter. I think it was a stout, but it was like a chocolate sriracha. Ooh. And I was like, that sounds good, but not right now. I saw the pseudo suit. I'm like, I'm just going to get that one. And I got some other, you know pedestrian normal beers you know you know what cool i got beer. to this past week that i i i had one in my fridge and i hadn't tried it i got the uh backwoods bastard from Ooh. founders and they do a, a barrel aged version hmm. and i got that dude that is so good i like if founders can, one of my if you can get your hands on those backwards bastard huh backwoods bastard yeah i forget if it's like a it just is an aged ale um but and the one that comes in the the that's aged in the barrels is so good. You know, if you like, you know, it's probably in the same area as that vanilla. Was it a stouter porter that you had? Oh, that was a porter. I think it's kind of in the same, you know, ballpark as that one. The other one I had was milk chocolate stout. I tell you, it's like, tastes just like milk chocolate, man. That's, oh, it's delicious. It's Yummy. like, if you want dessert, you just have that for dessert. Perfect. Nice. I gave my brother-in-law one of those. He came over. I was like, yeah, you want to try one of these? Because it's like dark beer too. And uh, he tried it. He's like, this is delicious. Because <laughs> it's not like too overly sweet. It's not like candy, you know, yeah. but it's like, it's got that milk chocolate taste. It's great. Oh, that's so good. I know people's mouths must be watering now listening to this. Mm, dessert or with food. It's, it's all good. <laughs> well, if your mouth isn't watering quite yet, it will be because the 37th annual Great American Beer Festival is on the horizon tickets go on sale to the public on August the 1st and it'll be taking place in Denver, Colorado starting, uh, September the 20th going through the 22nd. Oh, wow. Yep. Denver's getting all the stuff now. I think they've always done it there. Really? Yeah. 85 bucks a ticket. Uh, if you're a member, you can get it for 70. Oh, wow. For uh, there's like a, I guess you have to be a member of what the other uh, Brewers Association or the American Home Brewers Association. Oh wow! Yeah, so you can get your ticket ahead of time, but that's coming up. So just a few short months. Very cool. I think Comic Con's coming here in two weeks. I was thinking about going. Oh, nice. You've been? No, I haven't been. They have the one in New York now. I think in October. Yeah, the San Diego one that just happened. That's like huge. He's talking about that. That's the real one, yeah. I think the hound's going to be at this one. Who is? The hound. Oh, really? Game of Thrones, yeah. That's kind of cool, yeah. Well, there'll be some famous people. I don't know, I was thinking about going. It's, uh, I just want to see what it's about. Like, it looks pretty cool. I don't know. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely worth checking out. I may or may not dress up. We'll see. 
<laughs> as uh what was it cannabis man or something what was that thing you, you found cannabis man i love that dude it's like a whole green batman it's freaking awesome <laughs> i'll probably just wear like uh captain america underwears or something you know sends a message sends that message let people know what's up uh, extra extra small just yoke it <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right with that let's get into the genjula So now we uh, we don't have an official bean of the week, but I think we've extrapolated one, haven't we? We have a fake bean this week. Um, kind of to go along with the, a story that you found this week, which we'll go into after. But let's just talk about the the bean. So we have um, this week we're going with a natural massage oil. It's an intimate natural massage oil for women uh, called it's Fiora brand. And I picked this one because I looked around. A lot of people were saying that this one was a really good one. It was on Leafly. Um, and the name of it is, is called Awaken. Now, if you get your hands on this for your ladies or for the ladies out there, it's the first intimate massage oil for women formulated with full-spectrum hemp oil, synergistic, synergistic botanical, and aromatic oils. So it's a multi-aphrodisiac formula. Enhances tactile sensation and pleasure while decreasing tension, discomfort, and dryness. So it sounds pretty cool. And actually, there's a bunch of articles. There's an old article about um, just, you know, intimate oils for, for people that want to experiment. And they say there's like all these different wild sensations you can get by experimenting with it. Because they were, they were actually saying like, you know, there's some people that take edibles before they, you know, have intercourse. And some people that use the massage oils and some of the styles of oils have like CDB and then they have actual THC in them. So there's all different, you know, blends. And they say you can actually, it, it actually brings, you know, playing around to, to a whole different level. So very interesting. Well, according to the reviews, Gretchen says that she's grinning ear to ear, just talking about it. <laughs> hey, this looks like some pretty serious stuff. Yeah. Now this is one for women. Um, now if you're a guy, you break one of these out, I'm sure they'd be like, man, I don't know what you did, but rock my world. Uh, spray your dong with it. Yeah. Well, I've heard of like, um, lube, you know, infused lube too. So that's another thing you can use. Why not? Right. Magic Johnson, man. Makes me feel great. (laughs) (laughs) So yes. And you did say that does go along with a story. And this is a story that I found and I was just, I was, I don't know how many emotions I went through, but most of them were anger and embarrassment for this guy. Yeah. I sent the nasty uh, comment back on, on that when you put, when you sent it today. Yeah. Not to you, but about this, because I was enraged too. (laughs) Just enraged. So the article is sex toy oils with marijuana, a concern for state Senator. If weed becomes legal. Come on. Really? This is in for national New Jersey day, which apparently is today. This is uh, for our state Senator, Ronald Rice, a Democrat from Essex County, the chairman of the New Jersey legislative black caucus, who has been vocal in his fight against legalization of marijuana. And he said, if in fact we legalize recreational marijuana, they're going to put up stores that do retail selling of cupcakes with marijuana. 
candies with marijuana, sex toy oils with marijuana, lipsticks with marijuana, all those kinds of products that kids can get and people can get. Well, how about alcohol? Are they going to get alcohol too? They sell that in every freaking place. And you know why? Come on. You know why companies are going to make these products? Because fucking people want them. If people did not want them, nobody would bother making them. This is called capitalism. This is the free market. This is how it works, you dipshit. And that's why you can always vote these people out of office too. How do these morons get into office? I cannot even fathom this. What a jerk off. (laughs) What a absolute fucking tool bag. You need some uh, awaken. All I need is the Lord and the Holy Spirit to get me high. And go eat a dick. (laughs) Infused with sex, marijuana sex oil. (laughs) Marijuana infused sex dick. How about that? Yeah. Me. Ugh. Yeah, with all his years of, you know, psychological analysis and, and you know, medical research that he's done, he's, he's really able to speak on this. Absolutely, yeah. Unbelievable. So. Yeah, so you know what? Never trust politicians. That's really what it all comes down to. Yeah. They're all just idiots on the take. Every single one of them. Unless you want to trust, trust the politician in Canada. Because... Apparently, Canada is the land of opportunity. So um, this is from CTV News, so Canadian TV. Uh, they're reporting that pot companies use Canada as a land of opportunity. So what they're noticing is that last month, um, there was a company, Green Thumb Industries, had a business plan. And they said it, with uh, $20 million revenue from pot shops in seven states, um, they started looking at Canada where marijuana is soon going to be legalized. So uh, these people were out of Chicago and they started saying, hey, you know, they just legalized in Canada. Does that open up, you know, opportunities for us to get funding and all this other stuff? So the Canadian Securities Exchange is quickly becoming the go-to place for U.S. cannabis companies, um, orphaned by their own stock exchange because the U.S. government still considers marijuana an illegal drug. So they won't let them let them list it on a stock exchange. They won't let them do banking. So um, they're saying this company went out and they took over a publicly traded uh, Canadian property, added an ink to its name, and they went public. So by doing that, I guess they technically had a Canadian part of their company that was able to raise sixty-seven million dollars in U.S. money through Canada. So wow. That's going to allow them to fund getting new licenses, open more stores. And a lot of other companies are looking, especially because they're struggling with funding, having to get private investors to fund it. And, you know, sometimes you're not getting, you know, while they want to say it's an an illegal or illicit, you know, some people want to badmouth it, even though it's legal in in certain states, they still want to treat it as a a, um, kind of a dirty business. And by not letting people legitimately go out and get loans and things like that, who's going to invest? Sometimes you're going to have to go get investments from shady people. And then they come back and they say, well, all these shady people are investing in marijuana. Well, because you can't go get an, a regular loan. So they're, uh, they're saying more and more uh, U.S. marijuana companies are, are lining up to do this. So what that means for U.S. banks is, hey, there's your money going across the border. And then it's going to come back in. And that's because um, 
people don't want to make it legal in the U.S. Yeah, it's almost like they're just trying to to fill in the time until it gets legalized in the U.S. But look at the damage this is doing. You know, so now people are going to get funding through the Canadian exchange. That money is never going to come back to the U.S. Yeah, they're uh, these companies are are doing what they have to do. I mean, you know, the world. I don't blame them. Yeah, the economy is a global place, and you know what? If people want to buy this product outside of the the lines we've drawn that have created America, then they're going to do that. It's just I think it's simple. And it's, uh, it's based on a need that people have had that they've been screaming about in the industry, but they've been ignored by, um, you know, at, at the federal level for the larger part, there's been some push recently on, on trying to, you know, start moving things through Congress and the Senate and, and trying to get legalization at a federal level. But, Hey, Canada just pulled the trigger. They said, boom, legal. Yeah. People are in pain and they're getting what they need to alleviate that pain. And you know what? If it's going to be illegal and they got to, you know, get it from somebody on the street, they're going to do that. If they have to go to Canada, if they have to go somewhere else, they're going to do it, you know? Um, And you can't stop it. No matter what you do, you won't be able to stop it. So we're, we're coming around slowly. I just, I still just cracks me up. It's a goddamn plant. And they're acting like it's the most vile, poisonous concoction ever created by man. Yeah. Purdue Pharma, those assholes who make Oxycontin, you know, they're a, you know, they're a, a, I don't think they're a public company. They're a privately held company, but they're considered quote unquote, a legitimate pharmaceutical company. Yeah. You know, you just, you just put that, that pharmaceutical word on there. It just, you alleviate all, uh, you know, evil and nefariousness because it seems like a legitimate business. Well, then they're not pushing it. Then you're misusing it. No, I'm not misusing it. You guys are prescribing the shit out of it and that you're getting people hooked on it. Yeah, you, yeah. you have all kind of chemists in a laboratory creating different, you know, concoctions, different versions of this thing. Which one's going to be the most addictive? Which one's going to have the most, you know, the addictive person or traits to the, uh, to that pill. We're going to find out years from now. It's just as bad as big tobacco. But the cigarette, yeah, the cigarette companies, they that's they made them as addictive as possible. Yeah. And now they have all these commercials, you know, truth.com and all these like, you know, let's show you a, a diseased lung while you're trying to eat dinner at like five, six o'clock at night. They do it on purpose. They they time them. And it's like, great, now I gotta see this while I'm freaking eating dinner. I don't even smoke. I guarantee you they're gonna find something out, a smoking gun down the road. Aren't they isn't that all funded by the cigarette companies too? Don't they have to pay for that? Yeah, that was a big lawsuit, I guess. So they lost the lawsuit and there's billions of dollars that they had to pay for advertising against their industry. <laughs> and, like, and the best thing is they're just like, yeah, fuck it, no problem. We'll still make like a thousand X from what we pay. Still making tons of money. And like, it's probably, probably a write-off for them too. Yeah, right? It's so probably they something. give for that. Mm-hmm. It's just wild. I mean, it's such a big industry. But yeah, very interesting. Yeah. So sticking with the U.S. Canadian border here, federal drug policies go too far at the Canadian border. Uh, federal oh. government, is their latest attempt at border control involves stopping individuals from entering the U.S. from Canada who are in any way associated with the cannabis industry, despite the fact that cannabis is now legal in Canada and legal in some form in nearly two-thirds of the U.S. That's cannabisism. It is. So, you know, due to the tensions between Canada and the U.S., um, they said that this has been, this cannabis industry border issue has been growing. 
Um, so That's yeah, they, you can be banned for life from America. What? Yeah. It's not clear what motivated this latest move by the U.S. Customs and Border Protection because the government has said little about its aggressive new tactics. In an email to the Star, a press officer for the Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs of the United States State Department said only admission requirements into the United States will not change due to Canada's legalization of Canada of cannabis. Huh. Wow. Yeah, they're going to use it for profiling. Oh, of course. It's going to be crazy. So how can buying cannabis get a Canadian ban from crossing the border? If border officials obtained purchasing data about a Canadian person legally buying the drug, they could classify that person as a quote-unquote drug abuser. A legal designation that can be used to prohibit a person from entering the United States for life. So how about everybody in Colorado? Are you a potential drug abuser because it's legal? That's a slippery slope right there, right? Right. Yeah. So that I mean, if this, you go into Canada, you can't come back. <laughs> I think this is our way of of keeping Canadians that we want. I think it's it's they're building a uh, a hidden wall. I think it's our way of improving our hockey team. That's what it is. Allow the Canadians to come in, and as soon as they try to leave, we're going to hold them back. That's right. I wonder if Tim Hortons are all going to close because they can't get the products from Canada. <laughs> Man, that's crazy. It's just again, it's just goofy it's goofy the people who are in charge are just completely out of touch they don't understand you know what they're doing why they're doing it they're just making money off of it somehow but they're like policies that were made by like a five-year-old like they're just they don't make any common sense so you're gonna just stop everybody that bought weed because in the u.s i believe when we go to the dispensary they take your picture your id right and you save it at least colorado did I don't think in, in Washington they do. Washington, I think they look at it, but they don't scan it. I think Colorado, they um, they scanned it. And I think it goes into some database or something like that that you bought legal weed. Huh. Which is another, you know. Seems unnecessary. Extremely unnecessary. Big Brother wants to watch. They want to say, who is, who's abusing? Who's a drug abuser? So meanwhile, you could have. They like, can sell that to the insurance companies. So they can jack up your rates and stuff, and not pay out your, uh, not pay yeah. out what you've been paying into for how many years. Right, but meanwhile, you could have like twenty PBRs a night, and that's fine. Yep, not a problem at all. Not a problem. Go right ahead. Handle the gin. Go ahead. It's made in America. It's fine. <laughs> Just so goofy. Let's go to ski news. <laughs> So yeah, middle of July, still tons of ski news going on. First thing up, Polish Mountaineer makes first successful ski descent of K2. Andrzej Bargiel became the first person to ski from the second highest peak in the world. Man, that's this happened crazy. last Sunday. And he was um So K2 is on the China-Pakistan border and is the second highest mountain in the world behind Mount Everest. The 28,251 foot peak is notorious for treacherous conditions and for taking the lives of the brave adventurers who attempt to climb it. In 2008, 11 climbers died in what was deemed the K2 disaster. And until now, a skier has never been able to successfully ski the entirety of the peak. Oof. That is crazy, man. 
Right, do you watch any of that video? No, no, I didn't get a chance to watch it. Yeah, it was his second attempt to ski K2 and had, had abandoned his effort last year due to poor conditions. However, this year, the mountain worked in his favor and him and his team and uh, had suitable weather for the descent. So they show it's him like climbing up and then uh, just it's it's crazy. The view 20,000 feet, man, you can't even breathe. So like you yeah. do a few turns and it's like you need oxygen. Yeah, actually, some people use oxygen climbing up because it's pretty bad. Yeah, wow. so it says he was accompanied by his brother who captured the descent via drone, had a climber, a cinematographer, a photographer, and a team of Sherpas. And then before heading to the summit, he spent several weeks acclimating at camps in the Karakoram Mountains of Pakistan. Uh, okay, so he acclimated for a while. On uh, Thursday, July 19th, him and his team made their move to the second base camp. The next morning, they made their final stop at the third base camp where they would wait until Bargil would make his way to the summit on Sunday, the 22nd. He was able to reach the summit and ski the entire peak without the use of oxygen, which is something few climbers on K2 opt to do or can even physically handle. Wow. He has spent a lot of time developing strong technical skiing and climbing skills and is incredibly fit. So he was able to do it without the oxygen. That's pretty cool. Really cool. Now, did he have to, did he have to plan his line? Cause I'm wondering like, there's like dead people around. There's like crevasses. I mean, there's all sorts of crazy shit out there. Yeah. I don't know if K2 has all the, uh, the bodies like, like Everest has. Yeah, that's true. Everest is pretty littered with bodies. Apparently. Yeah. But I mean, absolutely oh, yeah. awesome. 20, yeah, 28,000 feet. Like, yes, yeah, ski that. Only person in the world that could say that. And you know what? I was, uh, I sent something out on social, but I think it got either blocked or friggin' hootsuite. Like, oh, just kind of yeah. like, I, I think I'm, I might have been in a bad area and it, and it, and it stopped. It didn't go through or something. Um, but yeah, I posted, I was like, yeah, and this is the last time anyone was able to ski K2 before Vail Resorts bought it and added it to the Epic Pass. <laughs> That's on the Epic Pass, right? Starbucks there. And so they were there scoping out for a Starbucks, right? Pretty much, yeah. And doing the groundwork for it. One mountain Starbucks. <laughs> Can you imagine that you'd like climb like Everest or K2 and there's a fucking Starbucks up there or something? Yeah. No like disappointing. Twilight, like a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> That'd be so disappointing, but oh get up there, there's like a I think I think part of you would be kind of excited. <laughs> yeah, sure. Like, At that nice. point. There's oxygen here? Yeah, oh yeah, climate control, man. A little pressurization tank. We're good. We got We're, the uh, the pizza with the hot dogs in the crust. That's what you wanted, right? Yeah, that's what you're thinking as you're getting the um, altitude, you know, sickness. You're hallucinating that. It's crazy, man. Yeah. All right, next up, TGR is pitching their new film, Far Out. So, Brian dug this up. He found this on TGR site, right? Yeah, they uh, they tweeted it out. I think it was Tuesday afternoon. And I was going through our our social feeds, and I was like, another trailer. I think yeah. it's the second one of the year so far. So 
it's that time of year. Uh, they're going to start coming out fast and furious. There's a few of them out already. And, uh, maybe a tons of them more coming. I think, uh, what is it by usually like everybody like has the lineup and then they start showing them in like what, like September, October, November. September-ish, yeah, they start. Yeah. Um, and they start showing them out. So, uh, this one far out embodies the imagination as much as it does a physical space. It's a quest to seek out undiscovered realms and inspire new waves of creativity, enlightenment, and progression. Uh, it's the quest to be blown away. So they're saying it's one of their boldest missions ever. Of course, every year it's another boldest mission. Um, it just has to be right. New and improved. Yeah. Every year they're outdoing what they did the past year. Uh, so it follows the perspective of an athlete as he embarks on a journey to one of the most remote and unexplored mountain ranges on the planet, the Albanian Alps. I, even, that's, I guess it's Albania, right? Yeah. I didn't realize the Alps went but, down as far as Albania. That's pretty wild. So, um, you know, they follow him through his experiences, through a bunch of locations. Um, and then they show, you know, some crazy pillow lines are saying, um, they camp out in the Purcell Mountains of British Columbia, um, Kamchata, um, and Crazy Mountains in Montana. So they're saying Slovenian Alps, um, Jackson Hole. Of course. Girdwood, Alaska. TJ, yeah. that's right. Uh, Crested Butte. They're saying uh, Southern Rockies. So, um, yeah, it looks pretty interesting. Interested nice. to see the... Uh, Angel Collinson's on there. She's one of them. Uh, one of the people that is nice enough to reach out and say hi to us on uh, the socials, which is nice. Yes. Cause my little son was looking at a copy of powder magazine with her on the back cover, which he found more exciting than a Dr. Seuss book. So it was a proud, proud moment as a dad. That's awesome. He was ripping through powder. Ripping through pow. So yeah, that's coming up. So uh, yeah, take a look at that. We'll have the uh, link on our show notes. So you can take a look. I've already watched it a couple of times and it just gets, you just get so giddy knowing uh, that, you know, ski season is, uh, is on its way. It's it almost be, it be 98 degrees and a hundred percent humidity, but you know what? Ski season is coming there. Sometimes it's just, there's just days where it is just so hot and gross. And you're like, you know what? In a couple, couple months, it's going to be cool. And there's going to be snow on the ground and it's, it makes, it makes you appreciate it more. You know, like I know there's certain days where you're out in the mountain, your feet hurt. It's cold as shit. You just want to stop. And you're like, you know what? Today is a blessing. I don't know how many days I'll be on the mountain. There'll be days when I'm at work or in the heat. And I'm like, I wish I was skiing today. So every turn you can make, you make those turns and you cherish them because they are, every single one is, is a, is a true blessing. Think of how much sweat you sweat in the off season to make that turn. Exactly. The workouts, the dealing with the sweaty balls when it's freaking a million degrees out, the hot. Mowing my goddamn lawn. Yeah. Oh, all that stuff. Yeah. Sweating, walking to your car. I mean, going to the beach and getting sand everywhere. I'm telling you. Yep. It's the work you put in. That's the sweat you put in. Sweat equity. Sweat equity. Exactly. All right. So we're going down under now. Snow base at Mount Hotham breaks the one meter mark. Damn. They're getting some nice snow down there in, in Australia. Consistent snowfalls have resulted in Mount Hotham's natural snow base breaking through the one meter mark today, nearly three weeks earlier than 2017, making Mount Hotham the first Australian resort to reach the milestone for 2018. 
Oh, wow. So one meter is only 3.2 feet. Yeah. The awesome conditions of the 2017 season, which experienced the blizzards of Oz, resulted in snow base hitting one meter on the 9th of August, 2017. The season has seen more regular falls totaling 185 centimeters at the, on the 20th of July, which has provided a steady increase to the natural snow base. So the season's great coverage and this week's snowfall of 24 centimeters and counting have led the resort to announce that the orchard area will be opening in Saturday. So if you are somewhere down under or have the means in which to get somewhere down under, you've got some snow to play with. Nice. So always nice to see people getting out in the snow. There's always skiing going on. That's what I love about news. You get to find out that it really right. does happen. And there's always a uh, Powerball drawing every week. That's right. You can follow the snow all year round if you want. Boom. All right, next up, big announcement. So the IOC is adding five new uh, FIS competitions to the Olympic program. So the five that they're adding, uh, ski jumping mixed team, very interesting. So men and women on a mixed team. That's pretty cool. I, like I that. thought it was like backwards and forwards. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No. Yeah, like one guy jumping forwards and yeah, one maybe. guy jumping backwards. <laughs> and one guy backwards. That could be too. I don't know. I'm, I'm just assuming. Um, let's see. Freestyle skiing, mixed team aerials. So that's pretty cool. Men and women in that. Uh, free ski. Now, big air men's and ladies. So... The big air itself was a big announcement this week because a lot of people were looking forward to that because that's because they had the snowboard big air, right? Uh, I forgot which one. Yeah, I think they had snowboard big air this year, but they canceled. I think skiing big air was on and they took it off or something. Yeah, so they were work out knocked down and snowboarding got in. So yeah, because they I just looked it up. Yeah, they had they had big air for snowboard, but not for it was a new event in this Olympic, but they didn't have it for skiing. Yeah, but I remember when they added snowboard, skiing got uh, voted down while snowboard got in. Everybody was pretty pissed. Yeah. But big air skiing is, that's what they sell out stadiums to watch now. So they're saying that other um, report that we had was the fact that they're adding it is, (laughs) it's almost like they're being forced because that's making the biggest money right now with some of these events that they have. Like they had one in um, at Fenway Park at Fenway, which just packed in people to watch. It's pretty cool. So um, and then snowboard mixed team snowboard cross. So it's pretty interesting. Now they're getting some of these sports and putting mixed teams in, which they never did before. Everything was very separate men's and women's. I guess they're still going to have separate men's and separate women's and then do the mixed team. Um, I think it's interesting to see. I wonder if they're going to make the same kind of changes for the summer because uh, there are some sports that, you know, can kind of be, we get closer and closer, you know? Yeah. They always start, they always tweak the, uh, the recipes and they you know, pull things and add things. And they're saying too, so they're adding a, uh, a women's was it solo Bob bobsled event. Oh, solo Bob. <laughs> like what exactly is that going to, so is that one, one person in a bobsled? Yeah. I think they have that for men, don't they? I always thought it was like a two man or four man teams. And I don't do the four and I know they do the two. Oh. Yeah, I guess the singles, it's what skeleton and the other one, the luge. The luge, yeah. And then there's like the two man luge, which is the dumbest, weirdest thing ever. That is. Every time I see that, it just looks like um 
what's that? What was that skit from Saturday Night Live? The um, ambiguously gay duo. Ambiguously gay duo where they're like flying. That's yeah. what it looks like. I'm like, that just looks so ambiguously gay. That'd be funny if they had like a freaking like like '69. <laughs> like yeah. mixed team movies face, face to mouth like uh, <laughs> nose mouth, to toes yeah mouth to privates yeah nose to toes <laughs> mixed luge like what the hell's going on here what are we really watching who thought this was a good idea <laughs> at that point you gotta step back to like what are we really watching here <laughs> we got like 70 porn music playing while they luge it's like what's yeah. going on Someone so thought this would be a good idea and someone really won an Olympic medal, so they decided to compete in it. That would be the um France's artistic interpretation of the Yeah. <laughs> well it'd be like the tour de pharmacy, the guy wearing the ultra thin <laughs> ultra thin outfit. I gotta watch that again. That was an awesome movie. Oh, uh, it's quite good. Because <laughs> I'm watching the Tour de France now and it's like that like it, it gets into the stereotypes. It's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Primo's uh, Roglic. He's still in fourth, man. Is he still? That's awesome. Yeah, I was watching today the replay. I didn't get to watch the morning. So they, they replay it like twice during the day. How much longer is is there? Remaining? They're only in the second week, man. They got oh, another week. They started late this year, right? No, they usually start... I thought um, it was usually like mid-June or late June they started. I know 4th of July, they're, they're usually in the first week or at the end of the first week, depending. So it's about right. Okay. Yeah. Because they started it, I think it was... So Saturday before Fourth of July it was on Wednesday this year. Okay. So, but yeah, they're in the they're going into the last week. So, wow. lots going on. Pretty cool, cool stuff. Yeah. Next yeah. up, snow farming could guarantee a solid packed start to the ski season. Hmm. There's a technique called snow farming, which ensures that the ski season gets off to a good start and could be a revolutionary way for resorts to preserve snow through the summer. It is currently being used by the world's biggest ski area, the Trois Vallées in France, home of Val Thorens and Courcheval. These two resorts are working to preserve snow through the summer until the next ski season, and the United States is starting to jump on board with the idea of snow farming and preserving snow through the hot summer months. Nice. I think we talked about that a few weeks ago, how they're doing it in uh, the three valleys there. Yeah, but this actually goes into a little bit deeper on how they do it, right? Yeah, this one they're saying, and I think they're doing it up in Vermont, they're saying that they're insulating the snow and then covering it with wood chips to protect the snow from the sun. Hmm. It's done in a few places on the East Coast. For example, the Craftsbury Outdoor Center in Vermont has been working hard on their wood chip method to preserve Nordic trails. That's pretty cool. They say the results in Europe have been extremely successful, suggesting that storing snow through the summer could retain 70 to 80% of the snow. That means a nice, solid, packed surface to start off the season. Dude, think about that. If they could preserve 80% of the snow, they start off the season and it's like, boom, we're open. Everything's open. You know, throw some little man-made groom on there or, or they get a little natural snow on top of that. That's perfect. Well... In theory, yes, but how many wood chips would you actually, how many acres or miles of wood chips would you need to cover that much snow? I guess you're going to have it anyway from trimming trees and stuff. So they just make sure they consolidate it and, you know, it's biodegradable. So I guess at the end of the season, they just scrape it off and leave the snow open. Have a big bonfire or put it into compost or... Compost it, yeah. 
But if you could save it for the next year, it probably deteriorates, right? I would think, yeah. They probably compost it. So I wonder how big these patches are that they're testing this out with. Because again, it looks like it's like a little pile. Yeah, that's the one in Vermont, I think. But the one we, the other article we saw for Val Torrens, that was big sheets of like plastic and stuff all over. It was, it was a huge field. So I wonder if they just get like, it looks like the Vermont one. It's like, yeah, a giant pile. And then would they just like cat that out down a trail? Probably. Yeah. They could either cat it out or they can either way, if they leave it in place, they're going to cat it, you know? Yeah. This is going to be interesting to see how they're going to try to, to make this work. Because again, there's two different schools of thought. There's the, well, we're going to shut the mountain down while there's still snow on it. So we can cover it yeah. or you kind of ski over it until it's gone. And I guess the thing is, they got to uncover it before the snow falls. Otherwise, they get a layer of wood chip in the middle of the snow. That's true, too. How do you right. get, get all those wood chips shaved off of your coverage? Yeah. I guess once it gets cold enough, they can figure out it's going to still melt, but not at a big rate as long as it's not still like, Not like summer enough. melt, yeah, where it's yeah. like you know much hotter. But yeah, if they could say, even if they could say 50%, that's huge. That would be great, yeah. Rather 50% of like Killington. Or Mount Snow. Because we always have problems with snow. It's like, if you save 50% of that, that's like everything's open then right away. Or at least half right away, yeah. Yeah, because they got a lot of snow blowing, you know? Mm-hmm. Crazy, man. Cool. All right, next up, we have Protect Our Winners wants skiers to become effective climate advocates. So um, there's a new Protect Our Winners Action Fund, and what it's doing is aiming to make climate change one of the top policy priorities for outdoor sports community uh, via athletes. So they're actually trying to uh, promote and train um, outdoor sports enthusiasts and athletes and business leaders to become effective effective climate policy advocates um, and an empowered voting bloc. So they're trying to, you know, get the advocacy out there, but they're also trying to get, you know, the, the big hook in there is they're trying to get people that really, you know, understand what's going on so they can vote properly when things come up for voting and, you know, when legislation comes up to do certain things. Because um, a lot of times when that stuff comes up, it comes up fast and furious. Uh, people write up some kind of brief on what's getting voted on, and it's not the truth of what you're actually voting on. So the way they word it a lot of times misleads people. So it's good to have people uh, a little bit more educated. So, um, yeah, it's nice to see this. And, you know, there's a, you know, it's, it's very easy to be on one side or the other in politics and, you know, certain one side believes, you know, climate change is fake. One believes it's absolutely real. And, you know, the more evidence that people can have presented to them, the more information, you know, the, the more honesty, I think the, with that honesty and with that information, I think it would lead to a better educated voter. Yeah. The only, the only creepy thing about it is they're talking about coming out with like a list of politicians to vote for. And anytime you start doing that, it's just kind of, it's good to come out with that, but I think everybody still needs to think for themselves and know why they're picking them as one of the top people and still vote on how they want to vote. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's always a little creep when you get that list of people you should vote for. Because I know a lot of unions do that. I know, you know, um, th- there's a lot of organizations that do that where 
some people don't even know what's going on. They're like, nah, they just told me to vote for somebody. So that's who I'm voting for. So yeah. I, I think that's where you got to be careful, but it's good that they're, they're going out and doing it. You know, there's a lot of organizations. I mean, um, what's the, uh, AARP does that, mm-hmm. you know, they have a big advocacy that goes out and huge voting blocks. So. Well, not to the, um, the marijuana industry also too, puts out that, that guide every year, mm-hmm. show, you know, kind of grading all the politicians on how, cannabis friendly they are right so in a way you know every every lobby every organization every group kind of ranks their you know the the politicians and how favorable they are for their agenda so right yeah it's uh but i think in the long run and just in general it seems like it's a a positive thing i think it's great because it's getting more more information out in an intelligent way to people too because like, they're giving a training and they're, they're trying to educate people on, on why it's important and what's going on, which is, which is very good. And it makes people care. And that's, that's half the battle right there. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately we live in a, um, a society where people kind of follow a lot of the celebrities and people of power and they kind of do what, what they're doing. They kind of follow their lead. So they're targeting, you know, athletes, which it, they should be involved anyway, because that's their sport and that's their, their livelihood. Um, so it's good that they're, they're getting out to those people that really should represent in, in a good way. Yep. Speaking of helping out people who need help, the aerial tramway emoji finally got some help and it ended its run of 77 days as the least used emoji in the world. To be perfectly uh-huh. honest, I never even realized there was an aerial tramway emoji until I saw this article. And I've yeah, used where it. Was it? It's hiding in the transportation section, like where the trains and planes and everything really? is. Yeah. It's a cool little gondola there. So I'm looking right now. So I know I've used it a couple times this week because I want to make sure it does it stays out of the bottom spot. And I didn't even know that there was a website called emojitracker.com that you got too much time on the hand. Like, how do you even like how do they even amass all that information? Like, do they have access to everyone's text messages? So, all right, guys, we could sit down, we could cure cancer, or we could track emojis. Yes. Like, think of the brain power and the effort that's going into that. Honestly, there's like three or four gondolas. Yes. Sort of. Yeah, I just sent you three. If one's you... A, oh, one's a tram. <clears throat> one's a little car and one's a gondola. Right. Yeah, the one is almost like the, uh, what's the one at uh, Mountain Creek called? The Cabriolet? Yeah. It's kind of like that yeah, one. Yeah. So if you go to tracker.com, there's actually an epilepsy warning on the website. Oh, really? Because of the visualization. Nice. It shows like how many people are using each emoji. I don't quite know where they're getting their information from. Wait, how does this whole site cause epilepsy? It's all the blinking of lights. Oh, yeah. It's like yeah. whenever someone uses a particular emoji, it looks like it... it, it increases yeah. that the number by flashing. Oh, I could see that. Wow. This thing is hooked up into, I don't know what repository they're hooking up, but wow. This is a little bit creepy too. Yeah. I don't quite know where they're getting their data from. It's a little, uh, disconcerting. You mean they, you mean they could tell how many times I give the thumbs up to everybody. 
I think so. How many times has the eggplant emoji been used? Because <laughs> come on, man. No one's being like, hey, we're having eggplant parmesan for dinner and using the eggplant emoji. That's right. That's pretty funny. Oh, okay. It's it's second from the bottom. What's the input symbol for Latin capital letters? And that was beating out the the Oh, the, the little cabriolet thing is the second to last one. Second to last one still. But the other tram one is moving up. It's moving up. It's like seventh from last. Yeah. That's wow. so funny. I wonder if it's seasonal. I wonder if during ski season it moves way up. Maybe because the little skis here, they're there pretty low. Yeah, like all the sun stuff that's at the top. I wonder if that all slips down after the summer. Maybe. And is this like all time usage or is this? I don't know. Because that's that would seem low if it's all time. Yeah, right. Oh, it's only used on Twitter. Oh, uh, used on Twitter. Okay. Real time emoji use on Twitter. So they're getting a feed from Twitter on who's using it. Okay. But I don't, I guess that's all time, huh? Must be. Hmm. Pretty cool stuff. The martini glass is right in the middle. Let's <laughs> see, cat. There's a cat one. Has to be up there. Cats and dogs are all up there. All the smiley face. Yeah, there's a cat up there. Wow, the recycle one is that high up? I don't think I'd ever that use that. That one I'm really surprised about, yeah. I never use that. Yeah, me neither. The LOL one I've, I've used, yeah, all those, except for that recycle one. I'm like, what? <laughs> Very interesting. Yeah, so check out EmojiTracker.com if you want to see how many emojis are being used all the time, forever, on Twitter. <laughs> All right, and that wraps up the old ski news for the week. So for our main topic, we mentioned a little bit earlier, we had an interview this week, which we have already conducted with our friend Matt Pepin, who is the Boston Globe sports editor. He had been the digital sports editor and was recently promoted. So congratulations again to Matt. We yeah, so we sat down and we chatted with him. Uh, we talked about you know, obviously our podcast, what he does, how he got into it, and uh, talked about his newsletter, which we'll include in the show notes if you want to subscribe to. It's called "It's All Downhill," and uh, we had a great time chatting with him. So we talk for hours with him. Yeah, we chat. We chatted for a good uh, good hour with him. So it seemed like a, a ski buddy that we know for a while, which is pretty pretty good uh, mojo to have, you know. Yeah, there was definitely a lot of of shared shared interests and likes when we chatted with him. So great chatting with him and hope you guys enjoy it. So check it out. Matt Pepin, the sports editor of the Boston Globe. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, man. It's great to be with you guys. Yeah, we've been uh, we've been chatting for a while now, probably almost probably almost a, nine months to a year, I'd say. Yeah. Um, so now, now big news, like we mentioned on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, uh, you just got promoted. That's right. Yeah. I'm a sports editor of the Boston Globe. That Congratulations, is, man. That is tremendous. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. So now yeah. does this mean, does this mean more skiing or less skiing for you? I hope it means more because instead of like, you know, doing a lot of stuff, I used to be the digital sports editor and 
So that was a lot of like, you know, fast response kind of uh, web postings and, you know, dealing with all the breaking news. And I'm hoping that this means like, you know, I just tell people what to do instead of having to do it myself. I hope so. hope it's, it's more chance to ski. That's, that's what we're hoping. I hope so. I hope so. I mean, I've had a lot of chances because of like, I started this skiing newsletter a few years ago and it was, uh, you know, the whole goal was just to like, you know, do something I really liked, you know, and write about, write more about skiing. You know, my, the former boss here, he always used to tell me like his doctor told him once, you know, you got to do something, you know, either every week or every day that you really like. And so he used to love writing about horse racing and college basketball. And I was like, you know, the same thing is true. Like we started this big campaign on newsletters and I thought, you know, I see all this ski news, you know, I have some thoughts of my own. Like, why don't I put that together? And that would be the kind of thing that for me would be like, you know, this, this great, uh, you know, little diversion in my, in my professional life that would be satisfying and, and fun. And so I just, you know, see, see where it went. And, one thing led to another, like I, you know, it got to the point where everyone in the office was like, you know, I was like the ski guru in here. Like anytime anything happened in skiing, they were, they were asking me. And so, you know, so I got some good stories to do. I ended up going to the Olympics because I know a lot about that. So it yeah, was, that uh, was actually really cool watching your, uh, your tweets when you were over in Pyeongchang. I mean, that was, that was fascinating. And I know we kind of talked about even back then getting you on here and I, yeah. we want to hear about it, but yeah. So, so the newsletter, now, how can people, get to that if they want to subscribe. So if you go to my Twitter page on my Twitter bio, there's a link to uh, sign up and it's a free newsletter um, called it's all downhill. And, you know, I mostly focus on, on like new England skiing and in the Northeast, but I definitely include links to interesting stories from around the world. You know, I've linked to episodes of your pod and, and, you know, as I was researching it, that's how I, that's how I even discovered, um, highfalutin ski bums i was looking for like what you know there aren't a whole lot of great ski podcasts out there and the thing that attracted me to you guys i'm not just blowing smoke here but you know so many of them were about like racing and stuff like that and you know racing is cool but i think that i wanted my newsletter and i wanted what i do to be about like you know the the um the enjoyment of skiing and that's what i like writing about the best so, yeah, like um, regular guy stuff, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I felt like, like, even when I started this newsletter, it was always about like, um, you know, I didn't want to be the guy who just wrote about like trip reports, or I didn't want to just write about like steals and deals and, and, you know, you know, upcoming events at ski mountains, because that stuff's all over the place. I don't mind linking to that, but. Or just travel to, or something. I see a lot of travel things where they just talk about traveling. It's like more to it than that, you know? Yeah. And so I think that like, like I know like a lot of the conversations I'll have, and this is what I was saying about the podcast is I like the way you guys always, and I described it this way, Brian, in the, uh, in that thing we did around Thanksgiving was I felt like listening to your pod was like chatting with my buddies on the way up to Vermont or way up to New Hampshire, you know, and, you know, we might not always be talking about, yeah, we're going to take this slope and then we're going to do that slope. And then we're going to do this trail. It was, uh, a lot about, you know, we'd be talking about what we're drinking and we'd be talking about crazy screwed up news stories and stuff like that on the way. And then it probably comes back to skiing, but then it probably goes all over the place. So yeah. it was, uh, we're very good at the tangents that go elsewhere. Yeah. That's kind of how we started too. Yeah. We just, um, we were, and we talked about it on the podcast and also thank you so much for, you know, for including us on your, uh, yeah. on your list last year. That was, that was Definitely. unbelievable seeing that. Um, 
but yeah, we just, we started, we were up at Killington for a week, me and Mario. And we, uh, it was one morning. We just, it was a slow start. We didn't want to go out. There was like, it was like a little bit rainy. We started chatting for like two hours about just stuff, you know, yeah. planning, our, planning to go up to like, you know, get in line for Alchemist to get some heady topper, going up to Hill Farmstead. And we're like, why don't we just like, talk about this like every week on a podcast. So we just, just started doing it because, you know, again, like you said, there isn't many out there and some of them are just very specific about right. you know, racing or talking about, you know, they're only doing it during the ski season. Like we just wanted to talk yeah. about like ski culture. Cause well, they always have to be like this, you know, some massive adventure that some, that some right. mountaineer took, you know, and that's, that's cool. But I think that, you know, by and large skiing is about, you know, going out with your buds and having a good time or, you know, I have a lot of different people I ski with my family, you know, that's a whole different experience than when I go on my annual buddy trip, you know, which is, that's like, you know, that's a whole different thing. But then yeah. I go skiing, I chaperone my kids ski clubs and, you know, and that's a blast too, because I spend half the time skiing with them and half the time skiing with the other dads and we just bitch about our kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's definitely cool. Cause there's, there's so much other stuff that goes on just hanging out. Like, you know, on a ski trip, like, like you said, whether it's with your family or your buds, like you, you do this, this ridiculous non-ski related stuff that only comes about because you're, you're doing that activity, you're skiing, you know, like yeah. really yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. And the camaraderie of it is great too. You know, I just think that that's so much a part of uh, the ski life is the camaraderie and being able to just shoot the breeze with guys who, you know, and, and everybody who likes the same things that you do. Yeah. It's something about the sport too, because I, I don't know if it's because you can only do it for a few months out of the year for us, at least, you know, like yeah. four or five, you know, six months if we're super lucky, you know, there's just something about like almost, you know, you cherish it so much. Like I know just today, like, you know, in Jersey, it's like 85 degrees and humid, yeah. disgusting. And, uh, you know, I think Killington posted a couple of days ago, they're like 70 days till snowmaking starts. Right. I go to my wife, I'm like 70 days. She's like, don't even talk to me. Yeah. My wife was the same way. I was like, you know, we really got to start thinking about where we're going to go in March. And she's like, no, no. Yeah, I know. But, but again, start planning now. think about every day, but you talk to your buddies. They're like, yes. Like the, the, your, your, you know, your core ski folks that, you know, like, I mean, me and Mario and our one buddy who lives out West, like we have this, this text string. We're always going back and forth, like with news and like, Hey, these trips are coming out. Where are we going to go? Like, it's just yeah. it's so much part of like our existence. And it's just, it's fun to share. And you know what? It's cool that, that some people actually are out there listening and you know you were you were obviously like probably the most famous person who listens to us like, <laughs> we've had people who like you know people email us they're like hey we just i just started checking this out here's some ideas like there was one guy who emailed us about that um that craft beer sellers that delivers oh, i've been yeah, buying yeah. from them now like all the time craft yeah. beer sellers I'm like I so get my just, sip of sunshine that way <laughs> Yeah. People yeah. give us some cool tips. So it's just, it's, it's fun just connecting with like-minded people. Cause again, a lot of people you talk to that, you know, in every day, they're like, yeah, I don't ski. I don't care. It seems stupid. It's like, all right, well, that's cool. I don't like you at all anymore, but you know, yeah. I'm going to talk to my people who are, uh, you know, of the same ilk and we can, uh, you know, share our little, our excitement for our 70 day away snowmaking. Well, yeah. That's like I've gotten that through the newsletter. Like I did one that was all about like places to eat on the way to and from the mountain. You know, I was like, you know, I have a few, like there's this place in Maine, Bob's Clam Hut. My buddy and I freaking love it. Like when we go up, you know, we'll go up on like a weekday afternoon or early in the morning and we'll time it so we can hit that place for lunch. And then nice. we go up to, you know, like Sunday River, Sugarloaf, spend a couple of days up there. And then we always time it. So on the way back, we hit the same place for dinner because it's just so good. And so I wrote about that, like how much we love. That's such a big part of our buddy trip. And, and all these people sent me all these suggestions, like you have to go to this place. 
in Lincoln, New Hampshire, and you have to go to this place up near Mad River Glen, and you have to go to this place. And I have this list, like, I, I, there's no way I'll ever be able to get to all of them, but I mean, they all sound great. So that's been on those trips, like when you're hanging out, like you come across things that you'll remember forever. Like, so there's like places that we've hit that were like, we always talk about it. Like where we went there, like Reds out in Tahoe, we're like, we're just hungry. We stopped at this place that was amazing. We're like, you know, so you, yeah. and then you have that memory forever. And it's like, you know, it's a little gem, you know, maybe it's not on the, uh, Maybe it's a little off the beaten trail, which is even better, you know? Yeah, I love it. I just love that part of it. And that's what attracted me to the kind of writing I tried to do. And I think it gets your audience involved. And I think that's, you know, that was definitely what I, you know, what I got the sense of through your podcast. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. So if they go to at M-A-T-T-P-E-P-15, Matt Pep 15 on the side there of, of your, uh, your Twitter bio. Yeah. It has yep. the link to the uh, the newsletter. So. I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. Yeah. yeah, you can sign up there. And I do it. Um, I do one a month in the off season. So like April, May, June, July, and August and September, I do one a month. And then, uh, and then come October, I do it every week. And it comes out on Fridays because I try to hit like, you know, the noontime inbox and I'll have all kinds of links and whatnot. And, um, you know, that's a good time because that's really when everyone starts ramping up and they have um, the big ski show up here in Boston is in November. And, uh, yeah. Boston.com, our sister site is actually one of the sponsors of it. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a great show. And my buddy and I actually, that's, you know, it's funny. We were, we were talking about like how people get, you know, into skiing together and they have these customs. Like he just texted me, my, the same guy I always go with on this buddy trip. And he's like, Hey, you know, you want to play golf this weekend? Because we got to start planning the ski trip. <laughs> and that's always how it is. You know, he lives in Connecticut and I live up here near Boston. So we only get together a few times, but skiing is always at the heart of it. So yeah, meet up at the mountain. Yep. So we do this. So we go to this uh, ski show and we always book our trip there because the deals are so great. And, you know, you can get all kinds of, you can play one resort off or another. And, you know, you know Sunday River oh, yeah. told me I can do this. And, you know, but Killington gives me five days and you're only giving me three for the same price. So nice. it's a great way to, it's a great way to like play Good that car dealer game a little bit. We were actually just talking about that, me and Mario, this, uh, this past week. Uh, so that's the uh, Ski Snow Expo, November 8th yeah. to the 11th, right? Yep. Yep. Okay. Because also... He's at the Seaport Convention Center. Yes, exactly. Um, so yeah, we're, we're trying to make it up for that this year. Oh, man, that'd yeah. be great. I'd love to connect. Yeah, totally. Definitely. And um, I, we saw also, because uh, TGR just put out their, um, their trailer for their new movie this fall. Oh, and really? I think the Boston showing is either the 7th or the 8th. Yeah. So right around if it starts either the day it starts or the day before. There's so. going to be a ton of stuff synced up to it. Like I know a bunch of the premieres will happen. Like at the aquarium, they have an IMAX and, um, and they always show some of them. Then I always get invited to all these, you know, like, uh, like line there's a line level one, level one always has one. Yeah. And Warren Miller always has one. And I get invited to a lot of them. Um, nice. they always sync them up around the time of the show because I'll, tons of people come into Boston and go to this show. You'll see people like walking down the streets with like, you know, a brand new pair of atomics. <laughs> it's like, I know where that guy came from. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So we're actually, we've been talking about it for the last couple of months. So we're going to try to make it up there for that. Oh yeah. Do it, man. I'd love to uh, yeah. catch up with you guys and have a couple of beers. Yes, absolutely. Definitely. Um, I'll fly right into, right into Boston from uh, Tampa here. Yeah. Perfect. That'd be nice. All right. So now how long have you been doing the, uh, the newsletter? The newsletter has been a couple of years. I think I started it in uh, like the fall of 2016. And um, 
I had a little bit more time then because I wasn't the, the top guy in the department. Um, but yeah, I would do like a lead in section that was, uh, you know, like some, either some thoughts or maybe like a little, a little separate story. And, um, and then the bottom part is always like links to news, news and stuff like that, that I've seen, you know, sometimes it is a little bit of trip reports, but I always kind of make it a little bit more themed or I try to find like some interesting angle, like some of the best ones, like the, the thing about the food was great. And then one time I had, um, we created a database of every trail name in new England to see what was the most popular trail name and like, what was, you know, like how many, how many black diamonds there were, how many blue squares there were and like how what the commonalities were. And so that actually led to like this big piece that we did for, um, this special section we do every year in the globe called chill. So I gave him that piece and that was a lot of fun. And I think that was different. And like, I did my bucket list of like places I want to go. Cause I haven't skied everywhere in new England yet. And, uh, and so that was the kind of stories that I would come up with. So yeah, it was like two years ago that it started. And, um, I think the first one went out to like, like 95 people. And now the subscriber list is like 40,000. Wow. wow. That is nice. awesome. It's yeah. funny. I'm looking at the July, 13th one that you have and you did the uh the rankings of the seasons which is pretty cool yeah yeah i saw that one that was good <laughs> i like that you, you, and you talk about like what's nice about each season and stuff so it's pretty it's, it's definitely interesting read yeah one of them i did was like this was actually came from like a a dreamy maybe hungover kind of night but uh i did one where i i had a dream about like my perfect ski area and so I kind of wrote just like, you know, it would be this. It would have two gondolas that go right up the middle. So that is a good, uh, yeah, come up with the perfect ski resort. That'd be, be awesome. It's like, yeah. like Sim Ski Resort. That yeah. could be a new video game. Exactly. Yeah. Right? That'd be, How cool would that be? be? They had Sim Coaster, Skim Sea uh, yeah. Sim, yeah. Sim Ski Resort. Yeah. Sim Resort. Yeah. But just try to think of stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path. I wish I had more time to like really dive in and, and write about skiing all the time. You know, that's what I'll do. Whenever my time comes to get laid off or bought out or whatever, I'll I'll turn my attention full time to ski riding and <laughs> hey, come up with some crazy shit. It could be uh things could be worse, right? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of what we're doing. We're trying to like make this a, a full-time gig, but unfortunately we quite haven't got the funding yet, but yeah. Uh, yeah, we just keep, you keep hammering away. If it's something you love, you know, and, and you project that people, people get attracted to it. So, yeah. you know, it's just fun to do. So I was, I was fortunate. We did have a sponsor for part of it last year, the Boston <laughs> ski and sports club sponsored it for like a six week run. Hmm. And so we actually made a little bit of money on it. And uh, it was, it was, it was a good sign of things to come. And I think that just, like, you know, establishing a little bit of a reputation, you know how it goes, like with your podcast, it takes time to build it. And I think that if you, you know, consistently put out something that's new and interesting and people want to dive into, you know, it'll build and, and, you know, and you use, you use friendships like this to, uh, to help yourself along the way. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. Like I said, it's cool just finding people that are like-minded. And, uh, yeah. I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you've heard any of the episodes we have with our, uh, our buddy, Rich from all about Apre. Yeah. And, um, he just like, it was so random. Like I just saw an Instagram post of his last summer and I was like, Hey, I live in the, the not near the town where you guys are at the beach. And we just started like chatting back and forth. And he's like, I live in the next town over from you. <laughs> it's weird. So we're yeah. just a couple of guys at the beach in Jersey who, uh, both are super into skiing. So, right. you know, it's yeah. amazing. You just kind of put stuff out there and, and you, you somehow you gravitate to other people who are, uh, 
yeah. like-minded. So like I got a lot of offers. A lot of offers of people want me to want to take me skiing or they want me to meet up with them and whatnot. And uh um, you know, I'm I'm hopeful I can do some of it. I just missed, I actually um it's funny, like the best day I had last year was at Killington with my buddy. And Jack Edwards, who's the Bruins play-by-play announcer on Nesson, mm-hmm. he, um, he's a big-time skier. And one of the earliest things I did for this, for writing about skiing, was I used to do this series called I'm a Skier. And I just find people in Boston, like, who did something else that they were famous for, but they're also skiers. And he's one of the guys I found. And so we just kind of got a little bit of a friendship going. And we were there. It was like the best day of the year at Killington. Like, it wasn't like a powder day or anything like that, but it was just a perfect bluebird day. And, um... And it just turned out that we were both there and we've been trying to connect all along. And it just, it was like, talk about crossed wires, you know, but <laughs> that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Just serendipitous, right. When it happens like that. Yeah. Yeah. So someday we'll actually hit the slopes together. We are actually at the mountain, but you know, someday we'll actually, you know, ride the lift and shoot the breeze. That's yeah. pretty cool. So yeah, now, you, what would, even the lift conversations are good. <laughs> oh yeah. Definitely. definitely. I love them. So what would you say is your, uh, your favorite Northeast place to ski? Oh, I knew you guys were going to ask that. <laughs> That's an easy one. That's a softball. I, I, I love Sugarloaf. Sugarloaf. I, okay. I think that, um, and it's funny cause I hadn't gone there until about three years ago. I went up there for, um, the U S Alpine championships were being held up there. And so I conned my boss into thinking that there was a really great sports story to do up there. <laughs> and there kind of was It's like Hunter S Thompson esque, right? Yeah. Right. I just, <laughs> you know, and so it was mostly just a way of getting some expenses paid to go up there. Cause even yeah, for years, like, hey, somebody working for you, that's going to try to do that to you. Right. Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> They're already doing it. Like the football guys all want to go to like, you know, San Diego and all these places. <laughs> it's important. It's an important story out there. Right. Exactly. Right. So I, so I did that and I went up there and, uh, and I got the story I was looking for and, um, and then I had like a half day left and, and my, the pass for the championships allowed me to ski as much as I wanted. So I went up there and I just absolutely loved it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, went all over the place and then my buddy and I booked a trip up there. So we spent a couple of days and we stayed right in the, um, the hotel at the base of the mountain. Um, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's just called like the Sugarloaf Grand Hotel or something like that. But, um, I just love it. It's just so big. You know, the snow fields up there feel like, you know, above treeline skiing. So I love that one a lot. I really love Loon in New Hampshire. You know, I love Killington, of course. And I, I think sure that um, added like back country, like some sort of like side country, back country access, didn't they last year? Sugarloaf? Yeah. 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 They added something. And I know they added like, um, like a snowcat skiing feature too. Yes. Uh, that's, that's so cool. That's his dream to drive the oh. snowcat. Totally. I would love to do that. I actually was looking up like the classes for it. There's a place out in Colorado you have to go to. It's like yeah. a 40 hour, like a 40 hour class. You got to take. Oh you, you just pay somebody 50 bucks at night and they'll just let you drive around. Right. <laughs> no, the problem, you just got to find that guy. Yeah, the, right. the problem is I looked at how much you make an hour being a snowcat driver and it's like 15 bucks. So he's got the headphones on, he's smoking weed. He's like, yeah, you could drive this for 50 bucks, man. Just go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, really, really. But I like that. But I'll tell you too, there's a, there's one place in Massachusetts that I love because I went there so much. I grew up in Connecticut. And so, um, my buddy and his father, my parents never skied, but my buddy's father was just, he just absolutely loved skiing. And, uh, and to this day, when we're out there, we say some of his catchphrases, like, you know, if the conditions are really good, I'd be like, ah, Jeff, you know what your dad would say? Your dad would say, these conditions are yummy. (laughs) He had this way of saying it. And 
but he always used to take us to Berkshire East, which was this little place in um, Charlemont, Mass, off of uh, I-91, because it was easy to get to. You know, we could blast up there in two hours. And then on the way home, we would go to Greenfield. The Greenfield thing was actually how the food thing started, because we always used to stop at this dumb little burger chef and, you know, save five bucks and you could get three burgers and fries and whatnot. But nice. um, he took us to Berkshire East. And so to this day, my family and I kind of go out to Berkshire East at least once a year or once every two seasons, because, you know, it's not super crowded and it's, it's good enough. Um, you know, there's enough diversity of terrain and there's some right. steep stuff, but like everyone has a good time there. And it's like, kind of, it's like, I like this old throwback in this grove of trees. I just, Something about it just appeals to me, you know, big time. And it's only like 1,500 feet, but I love it. Still, well, yeah, you, I think you can, is that the one you can actually see from 91? Or is that a different one? No. Uh, There's no, one you're going yeah, past, but, like, um, where Smith College is. Yeah. I think, um, well, there used to be a ski area there called Mount Tom, right near Holyoke. I can remember skiing there a lot. It was, that was just a small little place that had nice. a little further north, I was thinking. Yeah. I'm not sure. I'm not sure because I know to get to Berkshire East, you have to drive about a half an hour off of uh, 91. Oh, you do? Okay. So, so I have a question from Boston on a powder deer. Powder, if, if there's going to be a big dumping, where do you look to head for like a day trip? Well, if it's a weekday, if it's a weekday, like Mount Sunapee is probably the closest. You know, yeah. you can probably get to Mount Sunapee in New Hampshire in less than two hours from Boston. Oh, wow. um, but, you know, but you can also get to like Loon and Cannon because it's all highway. So you can get to those places in three hours. Um, and those are really good, too. Uh, you know, it all depends on, I guess, where it's really where it's really dumping. I've only ever had a couple of really great powder days in the Northeast just because, you know, they're hard to find. <laughs> yeah, hard to find and, and hard to break away sometimes, you know. So, yeah, that's I've done it. I've done it where I've gone to watch it, which is only like. 45 minutes from my house but it's kind of small but if you know if the powder's deep you know and the snow's good then why not go but uh but yeah i would say like you know son of p for sure you can get the mount snow in two and a half hours from here too yeah that's true that's yeah. and that's pretty good that's pretty good like you know i think that there's certain mountains you call them big mountains and others are like mid mountain yeah others are just small little places but i think that yeah son of p loon i think would be great you know, oh, Waterville Valley, I think is great too. I've gone to Waterville Valley probably almost as much as any, any place in the Northeast because partly because the high school ski club that I chaperone for my kids goes there five Sundays a year. Oh, oh, very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So it's nice. You get a bus trip and the kids are like, you know, they just crash the whole bus ride up there and put a movie on for them. And, you know, you get there early in the morning and ski all day and go home. They're so tired. They crash all the way home. And it's, that's it's cool. cool thing. The only thing the dads can't do is we just can't drink. Cause it's like a PTO thing. Yeah. Uh, of course. <laughs> now, how's it, uh, how's it changed for you skiing with a, with a family versus before you, uh, cause again, I'm, I have an 11 month old, my first child. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in like that getting ready to get yeah. him skiing in like a year or so. Yeah. Also. Congratulations. I put my, I put my kids on skis when they were like the boy, I have two boys and a girl and, um, my boys were on skis before they were three years old. Okay. And, um, you know, when I lived in Connecticut, we would go to little places like Mount Southington or whatever. And, uh, where just, in Connecticut were you? I lived in Bristol for about 10 years. Okay. My, uh, my in-law, my mother-in-law's in Southbury. Oh, right. Sure. So there's, a, there's a ski, it's, there's a sign that says ski area off her exit. And I have no idea where it is exactly. Oh, 
I bet it was um, Southbury. Isn't that near Woodbury? There used to be yes, this. yes. Woodbury is just north of Southbury. Yeah. And in fact, the guy who owns it is like this famous old ski racer, but I think it's closed now. Yeah. I think, I, I think it was like really expensive too for a lift ticket. It was like 60 bucks, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I put my kids on skis young and same thing with my daughter. And um, because we wanted this to be a family activity, you know, I, my wife didn't ski before she met me, but I, you know, we got her going. And then when we had children, you know, we definitely wanted to make that a family activity. So, you know, every year, every year, I'm actually thinking about writing about this, about like the types of ski, ski companions that, you know, that's probably the next one, like ski companions ranked. That would be a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's just a different experience. You go with your family. It's, it's one thing. And I go with my ski buddy and it's another, and I go on the ski trips with the school and that's another thing. And there's all kinds of different, you know, different ways of, of doing it. So, but the family ones are, are a blast because my kids know how into it I am, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, I'll like wake them up in the morning. I sometimes I'll go into their room and I'll blast like hell's bells or something to wake them up. <laughs> and, uh, and they, they're like, Oh my God, dad, what a, what a, what a dumb dad move that is. But yep. Get them fired up in the morning. They'll always remember that. I don't care. I play up to it. One, you know, one of the best things it's funny. It's funny that I'm sports editor of the globe now because there, there used to be this guy at the globe named Tony Chamberlain who wrote a famous uh, ski column back when they did like, you know, they used to have, they used to have like participation golf and participation skiing and all these different columns about things that sports that people would participate. Now it's really a lot more about competitive sports. That's all we really focus on is, is competition sports. But Tony Chamberlain once wrote a column that always stuck with me. And it was about how his father used to every year, just surprise him. He'd wake him up. He'd be like, Tony, Tony, get up, get your stuff. Today's the day we're going skiing. We're skipping school and we're going skiing. Nice. And I always wanted to do that with my kids. And then finally we did it. And it was just, it was just, they, their heads just exploded. <laughs> it, was, it was great. And then, and then one year my wife and daughter were away. And so I wanted to do that with just the boys and I didn't. And, and so when, when they get a little bit older, they have other interests, you know, they have like friends that they want to do stuff. So I had to make sure that they went to bed early and that they would be ready to go for the ski trip. So I told each one privately that it was going to happen, but that it was going to be a surprise for the other. And then, <laughs> and so I get them up and we're getting ready. We're getting ready. And then, and then David all of a sudden blurts out. He's like, you know, cause finally I told him when we got up and we're making breakfast, he's like, yeah, I was looking at the map for this place last night. And then Ryan looks at him. He's like, wait, how'd you know? What do you mean? You're looking at the map. How'd you know? <laughs> so my gig was totally blown. Then I was, I was totally busted. Oh, that's awesome. But I'm sure they had the best day ever. It was great. We went up to Ragged Mountain. I'll never forget it. We went up to Ragged Mountain. We skied first chair to last chair. And that's the way my kids are now. They're the kind of kids who like, you know, I'll never forget a loon. We skied up to the lift. Like they were just clicking the, clicking the, the thing across. And I was like, oh, come on. We were racing down here to get one more ride. And the lady was like, oh, I'm sorry. I can't do it. And we were just so crushed because we had <laughs> one more ride. <laughs> one more time. Exactly. So again, these are the memories that you, uh, you create doing this sport, which is, you know, again, why part of the reason why it's so alluring about it. And so, and why people connect on such a deep level who do this. It yep. carries through time, generation to generation. That's how it passes along, you know? Yeah. You know I mean, I'll never, I'll never forget my buddy's father for, you know, he's dead now, but, um, but I'll never forget him for, you know, introducing me to this sport because for me, it was like, 
you know, life-changing. This was like when I was like 11 years old and they would invite me along and somehow tolerate me learning as I went, you know, and these these boys had been skiing a lot longer than me. So it was hard to keep up with them, but in a way it was good that I had to keep up with them because it probably made me a lot better, a lot quicker. Oh yeah. Because if you people who are not, not that good, then you can kind of slack off too. And, uh, and you know, kind of, yeah, not be forced to, uh, to step it up, which is nice. Yeah. So, so these guys were good. My buddy, Jeff and his brother, Randy and his brother, Bob, man, they, they could, I mean, these guys were, it was like they were born with skis on their feet. They were so good. And so to try and keep up with them, it was a good challenge for me. Yeah. You ski up. That's why it's good to go with different people, you know? Yeah. We'll switch it up. It's, you know, different experience. You either give back by helping somebody out or you just have a cool chill day, you know? Yep. Yep. That's one of the nice things that we, uh, with, you know, doing like ski club trips over the years, we've discovered, yeah. you know, you kind of end up with, you know, maybe your people are taking the day off and you wind up with someone else you're going with. And you're like, ah, oh, this guy's really, I heard he's really good. And you end up going with them. And you're like, Oh my God. Like I just went places I never even knew existed. Yeah. I know we have a buddy that did our, uh, our Killington ski house with us. He's one of those guys, like he knows, like he's like on the Killington zone website, like the, the, the message board. He like knows like all these runs that if there's enough snow, it's, it exists. Otherwise, it doesn't exist. Right. Have, like, weird special names like Chicken Hawk and stuff. And he's, he'll he'll like, just disappear through trees, and you're like, I guess you got to follow him. Yeah, it's like you're, yep. you're next to the power station. You got to duck under here, make a quick left, and then it's a trail, sort of. Yep. Sort. Yeah. There was a guy who's like who like runs the high school ski program. He's I'm really good friends with this guy in in my town, and uh, there was one day that we went on the ski club. None of the kids want to ski with us anymore. So he's like, Yeah, come on. I'm going to take you to some glades I found last week. And we, we go to the, I'd never, I'd gone to Waterville like a hundred times. And then we go up there and I saw Waterville in a whole new way because this guy introduced me to it, you know? Yeah. And like, same thing. Like, like I was listening to the podcast that um, Mario, you were talking about your trip to France and like, I had heard about how great that place was, but then all the things that you were saying about like the après ski scene and just everything, just, you know, I was like, it was just great to hear it from a guy I knew was into skiing and, you know, was telling me things like, like, like I could trust it because I knew that, you know, you knew the, what the real deal is when it came to skiing. And I think that's, what's really, you know, great about it is like, you know, you find these people who, who give you the Intel and, and they help you, you know, they help you really appreciate the sport and enjoy the sport better because they're so willing to share their own experiences and you can relate to that. Yeah. That that's why it's important. To, oh yeah. And that's why it's important to chat to chat with people in the gondola and on the, on the lift. Cause you find out even for that day, like what's really cool. Like where should right. you go? You know? Right. It was fun. But yeah, that's, uh, those trips are, I love taking those trips. Yeah. <laughs> International trip. So, so South Korea, what can you, uh, what yes. can you tell us about Chang that? I can tell you, it takes a long ass time to get there, man. <laughs> How long was it? It was like, well, I mean, I, my, my trip there was probably amplified because it was, I left the day after the Super Bowl, and of course the Patriots were in the Super Bowl, so we were, oh, I was working all night, and then I got up the next day, and I went to the airport, and you know, so I flew to Atlanta first, but then the Atlanta to um, Seoul flight was 14 hours. Um, wow. But, you know, but I got there, I got there late at night, you know, I left on a Monday and got there on a Tuesday and I got there late. So I went right to sleep. Kinda. When I first got into my, I stayed, I stayed right at like, um, it was, you know, it was so much like a, like a new England ski area or a ski resort because all around it were like these roads that went up into where the condos were and everything. 
And so the, the Olympics basically took over this whole resort. And there were actually two resorts. This resort town, Pyeongchang is like this big resort town. And there's Alpensia and there's Yongpyeong. And I was at Yongpyeong in a condo that I had all to myself, like a one bedroom condo. Very nice. And um, it was right next to the slopes. And um, so anyway, long story short was I, I got there and I go into the first condo they give me and there's no freaking bed. So I had to like, you know, I'm dog tired. I'd been up all night and flying and everything. Finally, I get to sleep. I wake up the next day and, like, you know, they give you a day to acclimate before you really have to get down to work. So I wandered around the ski area and I was like, you know what? I got to go skiing here as soon as I can. And nice. so my colleague, Rachel Bowers and I, she wanted to ski and she hadn't skied in a while. So we kind of stuck to the beginner stuff to get our feet wet. And it was um, just an absolutely beautiful resort. Like this lodge had, this lodge was enormous. And um, and they had this massive fireplace and it had, you know, tons of different options for like all kinds of food and, you know, everything. And, uh, and the snow, the snow was like, perfect you know like yeah. it groomed it and it was all man-made but it was man it was perfect it was so soft like i i hiked up to where the base area was because i was just you know exploring a little bit i hiked up to where the base area for the racing was mm-hmm. and um you know all the way along i'm wearing my boots and i bought those like those sort of like stretchy crampons that kind of like give you yeah. a description oh yeah and uh and they're sinking in like an inch you know and i and i knew when i got on skis on that stuff it was going to be so easy to carve and that's exactly the way it was like totally ripped the snow was perfect and then the people were unbelievably friendly and helpful and uh i think i wrote one about like how every time you you got off the lift they would bow to you because that's like the effect in in most asian cultures you'd be you'd be be getting there and you wouldn't quite even be off the lift yet and they'd already be bowing and so like when you get up you kind of like have to bow and get your skis under you and jump off the lift (laughs) down and so it's kind of weird but then so so we went skiing for a half a day before we had to start working and then toward the end of the olympics i went by myself and i rented like you know high like high performance gear I spent, I spent another day just on my own. And that day was a blast because there was like a little, little layer of fresh powder. And, uh, it was a blue sky day and I just had the greatest day over there. Just, you know, I love, I like skiing by myself too. You know, as much fun as it is with companions, I'm fine with just taking off and exploring by myself because then nothing holds me back, you know? Yeah, definitely. So in terms of the mountain, how did that compare to like uh, stuff you skied before? Was it like unlike anything else or steeper, like average? Like what was the kind of? Well, it was inc- it was incredible. It really it really did. It felt a lot like a New England ski area. You know, I felt like I was at like, <clears throat> you know, like Loon or Wildcat or something like that, because a lot of, you know, it had a good mix of like trails and slopes. And when you got up, you know, when you got up to the top, you know, you could see really far out and <clears throat> South Korea is a really hilly and mountainous country. And so you could see everywhere, you know, when you're at the top, although there was one part of it that was closed because it was entirely reserved for the Olympics. And some of the best, some of the best, um, some of the best slopes were over there. So I didn't really get to ski a ton of expert, but, uh, <clears throat> but the it really isn't was. that big, right? Like it's not, you know, yeah. size wise, it's relatively small. Yeah. I'd say, you know, it was like, you know, it's hard to relate to Killington because of the multi peaks there, you know, but, 
but like Mount Snow was a lot bigger and Okimo is a lot bigger than, than Yongpyong was, okay. you know, it's like in the sort of like Gunstock range. If you've ever been there in, in New Hampshire or uh, Magic Mountain, Magic Mountain's a good way to um, connect it, you know, about that, about the size of that. And, you know, kind of the same things, a lot of skiing through trails and whatnot, but some pretty good, some pretty good steep slopes too. I, you know, I liked it a lot. And the other thing was, there was another, there was another, um, ski area that was only for the competition, but man, I wish people could ski there. They, they built this, they built this downhill venue out in the middle of nowhere. It was like an hour ride from on a bus from Pyeongchang. And, um, God, I'm trying to think, I can't even remember the name of it right now. It was, it was, um, Yongsan, Yongsan Alpine center. And that's where they had the downhill and the combined, the super you know, like the super G and the combined super. and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that place was like, it was basically just like three or four trails carved out of this old ancient mountain. And there was some controversy about like, you know, about like defiling the land and all that, and, you know, tromping on sacred ground. But, uh, but man, I wish I could have skied there. Cause this place was unreal. You just took a lift up to the base area through like this Valley. And uh, these slopes look awesome. Um, so this was like this was just made for the olympics yep yep it was only a racing venue that's all they used it for but they had like a lodge they had a they had a hotel there wow but but the post-olympics use when i left korea the post-olympics use was still up in the air they didn't know what they were gonna do with it oh wow so do they get a lot of uh a lot of tourists there usually the skiers and mostly like locals i think it was i think it was a lot of locals because um because on the days I skied, I had to place to myself. There were, there, and I think, I think also, I don't have any proof of this, but I just suspect that they kind of told the Koreans to stay away a little bit, or, or they knew that so many people were coming in for the Olympics that they just naturally stayed away because a lot of the roads were converted into Olympic-only roads, so only like official vehicles could go on them, and so I didn't see a whole ton of. Um, I didn't see a whole ton of just like, you know, day skiers, like you would, you know, you pull up at uh, any old place and you, you know, the parking lot's starting to fill up and you can see people gearing up in the lot and they're, you know, tromping up. You didn't see a whole lot of that, even though this was a gigantic resort that had, you know, tons of all the, all the amenities of a modern ski area. So I think, I think if we, if we went over there next February, we would encounter, I would encounter a very different thing than what I saw then but you know but i think the skiing would be the same right it's just that the crowds would be different and i know i've seen too like they had um one of the famous korean soap operas was actually set at this at this ski mountain uh, was it? when you watch it on when you watch it on korean tv i had no idea what they were saying so i only i only learned a little bit of korean but mm-hmm. when you, you see uh, the backdrop and, and you're like i know that place yeah and when you watch it there's lots of skiers everywhere so Wow, I do, I do think that normally the conditions are different than what I encountered. But it was how, cool. was it, how was it being there for the Olympics too? Like, was it really like electric? Like a lot of stuff going on. Yeah, you see a lot of events and stuff. Yeah, it was this. It was this like wild, wild whirlwind of events. Like, really? you know, we were working like 18, 18 to twenty hours a day because not only did the time difference make things really weird, <clears throat> but um it's just a lot, you know, like you wake up and there's already things going on, you know, there's like bobsledding going on and cross country skiing. And, and then, you know, but at night there would be hockey games and there would be figure skating and stuff like that because they wanted that to be more like prime time, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it's, 
we had four people over there and there was like, you know, we had to devise a game plan of who did what as far as what we were going to go cover and the stories we were going to pursue. And we weren't really about like, you know, let's just go and say, here's who won, here's who won the ski race or here's who won this. We were a lot more about like finding features. Like I really tried to find a lot of features that were connected to skiing and, um, and like new England, you know? So one of the things we had our columnists do was, one of the snowboarding judges is a guy from Vermont. He actually grew up right near Smuggler's Notch. And uh, he was like the American snowboard judge for a lot of the competitions. So we got it, got to interview him and he told us all about like how he judges the competition and how he, you know, Sean White and stuff like that. And, um, and so that was like kind of the stories that we pursued or we just wanted to try and tell different stories, but we use the events as the basis of it. So you had to figure out like your travel to the events and you did have to fight a little bit of the crowds, but the media access allows you to kind of get through in a quicker fashion. Right. But it was just really cool, you know, because the Olympics are a lot of sports that aren't generally super popular, mm. but you call them the Olympics and they become popular, you know? We well, were talking then, about that during the during the Olympics, how yeah. we're like, oh my God, did you see Chloe Kim? Like, what's she doing? Right. Like, yeah. The summer is worse because I think everyone's like, everyone's a gymnastics expert and stuff right. for like two weeks. And then right. you like kind of forget everybody for four years. And all of a sudden you're like, Oh yeah, Simone Biles. I remember her. Yeah. And, right. and everyone's an expert again. But that stuff, that stuff goes on every year, you know, every year there's, there's big time ski racing and every year there's a figure skating championships and every year there's a gymnastics championships, but only when you call them the Olympics do, do people really like, you know, latch on and, and just go, you know, they go crazy for it. Yeah, it's got the right packaging, the right marketing, and it's on TV at the right time. Yeah, yeah. And the hype there, I mean, the crowds, the crowds are unbelievable because there's so much national pride. You know, everyone's wearing it on their sleeve and wearing it on their chest. And so it's it's really a cool atmosphere in the way the world comes together. Well, that was like Brian and I were in Austria and they had just an FIS event, just a, a downhill, I think it was downhill or a slalom. You would have thought the Super Bowl was on. Like oh, everybody's yeah, glued. We were like, this is amazing to see. Like this how how different it is you know here nobody's watching it there it's like they don't care what else is on they're just watching right. that the, Look at the fis in uh in killington i mean what they yeah. have sixteen thousand people a day there it was insane Amazing. i went to both of them so far oh did you and, uh, yeah. yeah both of the world cups that were at killington and those crowds were fantastic those were like olympic crowds i mean people gathered or in fact i think killington had a better crowd for the women's uh giant slalom and slalom than they did at the olympics wow I can, I can show you pictures from, from both that I took that um, the Olympics crowd is pretty sparse. They were papering the house a lot with like Korean school kids. You know, they'd give them oh, really? tickets and, and they would, yeah. <clears throat> Whereas at Killington, people were so into it. It was hard to move. Like I was getting to Killington. I would, because I had a good parking spot and I wanted to make sure I could get down the access road. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would get there at like 6 a.m. just to beat the crowds because I knew they were wow. going to be big at Killington. Well, they also lucked out too, getting perfect weather the last yeah, two years. Lucky. It's a fun event. I loved it. I love going up there right after Thanksgiving. And they're having it again this year, right? Yep. Yep. I think the next two years they have it locked in, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know their deal. And I know they love having it, even though it's a huge expense, but you know. Oh, yeah. Who cares? Powder Corp. They have a million. They have they're working on the logistics, I'm sure, right? The first year I know was we were there. We were talking to the bus drivers. They're like, yeah, it was pretty rough because they weren't prepared for that many people. Yeah. I think so. food or didn't yeah a bunch of different things were uh, they ran out of yeah from my perspective it's it's a little hard to to um get that feel because 
a lot of times for media, you know, you get there way ahead of time and right. you leave late. So the crowds kind of come and go in between the times that you're working. Mm-hmm. So I don't get And you're also work. working, so you're prepared with what you need. And so it's different than somebody that's just going and hanging out. Right, walking. right, yeah. right. Wow. But, it was, but it's a cool event for sure. I liked, I love the Killington one, but the Olympics, you know, all in all were great. The skiing was a little bit down, but like the hockey games were great and, nice. you know, stuff like that was was really cool and a lot of national pride. One of the best things we did actually was um, all the countries, like all you were saying about Austria, they have like houses there. And so, um, you know, it's always like a, like a display of like what's great about that country. Okay. And they always have like a food option and they always have a drinking option too. So <laughs> myself and one of my colleagues, we spent the day going to all these different houses and like every single one, we got a beer. Oh, it's house hopping. That's nice. Oh, nice. Basically. And at the end of the day, we're like, all right, we got to write this story. And I'm like, I think I'm going to write it tomorrow. <laughs> Just one more. I got to go sleep for a while. <laughs> Did they have any glue vine in the, uh, the Swiss house? We, so we did. So they might've, I don't know. The Swiss house was one of the best. It was actually at the base of the resort I was staying at. There was like a little cluster of them. It was like oh, wow. Sweden, Sweden and um, Switzerland and the USA was there and a couple of others, although USA was like a $300 ticket. The rest of them were free. Wow, of course it USA was. USA was really tight. We ranked the first one. Oh, really? Just because they wouldn't let everyone in. Like everyone, they had no, they had no public facing thing. So even if all the other ones had a private area, like Austria had a private area and Sweden had a private area, even if they had a private area, they always had something for the public to do, you know, like a display or you could buy a beer or whatever. U.S. had nothing. It was only, you know, VIP admission only or or whatever. It was like a $300 ticket. Hmm. Wow. We took a pass. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a smart move. Yeah. You got to try to sneak in. Czech, Czech Republic. Czech Republic was actually the best one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they nice. had this, um, it was sponsored by Pilsner Urquell, which is like, oh, the, yeah. The, oh, the yeah. Czech Republic. Yeah. And uh, so you can go in there and they had a virtual tour. You put on the headset and uh, it's like, take a virtual tour of the Pilsner Urquell brewery. And it's really awesome. You're like, you know, they, here's where they, you know, brew the hops and here's why they do all this stuff. And at the end, that's and here meet Jan the bartender, right? And so and so you're virtually meeting Jan the bartender, who's showing you the special way to pour it. And then when you take off the goggles, Jan the bartender was the bartender at Czech House. Wow. So it was like so well planned, you know. You're like, am I still virtually in reality, or is reality virtual? It was great. It was great. I, as soon as I put the things on, I started to do the tour, and like we had gone there kind of early. And uh, so I was doing it and the person I was with, Rachel Bowers, she was standing there waiting for me. And as soon as the tour started, I took the goggles back off and I was like, you know, you should go get us a couple of beers while I do this. <laughs> ran up. So I, I knew I was going to want one as soon as I was done. Oh, that's awesome. that's so cool. <laughs> that sounds like a blast. Yeah, it was fun. It was a good trip. It was long. You know, I was there for three weeks and. Uh, yeah, that's a long, back, that's a long crush. You know, yeah. just absolutely crushed for like a week. But, yeah. you know, then then got back into the normal normal swing of work and, you know, fond memories. Cool. cool. Yeah. Well, that's, that's nice to see you did that. That's, uh, yeah, it's like a once in a lifetime thing too, right? Definitely, definitely a highlight of my career for sure. Very cool. So now you got, we got China in three and a half years, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know that I'll go to that one. No, they're yeah. weird non-snow that they're going to have there too. I guess yeah. they have to make it all themselves too, right? Because there's, they don't get snow in that region. Yeah, right. It's all going to be man-made. Yep. I always thought I always thought that uh, 
that the first Olympics I ever went to would be in some awesome, like, you know, traditional place, you know, like Lillehammer or, uh, you know, somewhere in Austria or Switzerland or France or something. But, you know, it was cool. I'd never been to Asia. So to go over there and go skiing, you know, I, I'd love to go back to Asia because I really want to go to Japan and go skiing. And I know I've heard some of the podcast wow. reports about that. That's, you know. Yeah. Our yeah. buddy Kevin, we had on. Yeah. He did the, uh, he did the trip and yeah, I mean, we were just like salivating listening to him. I mean, it sounded unbelievable and he threw together his own trip from like not knowing anything just kind of hope it worked out and well he was saying out. that he used um anthony bourdain's trip as kind of like his guideline for where to oh, go really? yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool yeah but he said he was nervous because he was like i don't know <laughs> he's bringing a group of, you know a, i think he went with like six or eight people he's yeah. like i'm bringing a group of people and everybody shelled out a lot of money and they're hoping everything's planned he's like i'm hoping it all works out but you know you're in another country what are you gonna do right Right. It's not like yeah. a lot of Japanese, you know, the folks are going to be interacting with no English. Right. Yeah. A lot of other countries, you know, you can squeeze by, you know, most European countries, you know, you can get by with a couple words, but you know, J- Japanese is a different and you know, j- yeah. tough language compared to English though. You really yeah. have to kind of know enough to get by. I spent a long time trying to learn Korean and I ended up only having like about 10 phrases that were really like go-to phrases. I mean, I got complimented on it. I was told it was, you know, it was good that I made the effort and people, you know, one guy, I'll never forget. He's like, you have a very nice Korean. I said, I said, <laughs> which is, thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> but it was, you know, when I went to Korea, I really, it was hard to research. Not very few people had that I knew had skied there ever. You know, I had no idea what I was getting into. The, using their websites was difficult to really find out. The only thing, the only thing that really helped me was um, before the Olympics. Last September, I went to Park City for a week because the U.S. Olympic Committee has like a pre-Olympics event where they invite media to come out and they bring in tons of athletes and representatives of all the teams. So it's kind of like a get-to-know-you week, and nice. they have press conferences and they have presentations. And, uh, so I stayed at park city and, and so the, um, South Koreans sent a delegation of representatives there. And so I was able to meet them and ask them about it. And that's how I learned like these two resorts in, in Pyeongchang, Alpensia was closed entirely. Like no one could ski there every day. I looked up at this mountain on the hill really. Mm. And, uh, and all you could see were these untouched slopes. And I was like, oh, my God, I, I should totally go up there and just poach one of these, you know. Hike up, yeah. Right? But I didn't. But um, but but I, I found out that that would be closed. And then I found out that Yongpyong, I could ski, you know, part of that. And then there were a couple of other resorts that if you wanted to, like, hire someone to take you to, you could have. But since I was already working and I was already right there, I figured Yongpyong was the, that was going to be my ski experience there. So, you know, I kind of winged it when I got on the ground that first day was like, you know, I explored it and figured out what was going to happen and uh, made it work. That's cool. That sounds like a, yeah, just a a fantastic opportunity too. And you, uh, you definitely took a grant, took advantage of it and uh, best out of it. It was a blast. Very cool. All right. Yeah. That's what the cover. All right. So anything else um, you want to, you want to mention or, or chat about? I don't know. I mean, feel free to ask me anything you want about Northeast skiing, but we already talked about the the resorts. I like, you know, I, I think that that's a, that's always a good question. Do you have a go-to opera? My go-to? Oh, well, you know what? So, you know, most of the time it's like, 
step on at home. And then when I get home, I'll, I'll dive into my, yeah, okay. then I'll dive into my beer fridge. You know, nice. we're lucky because uh, there's some great, you know, Vermont, as you guys know, Vermont is yeah. so, so good for craft beer that I'll go anywhere. Like the, the local little gas station, you got like, you find like great beers, you know, it's like I had I had the greatest experience at Killington last January because my buddy and I, we always take a week, take a midweek days off to go on our buddy trip because we know it'll be nice. deserted and we can have the place to ourselves. And so we go up to Killington and we go down to like at the base of the access road. There's like a little there's like a little general store, you know, like a little market and yeah, that gas station market liquor store yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so I'm standing there looking at the craft beer in the thing. Cause I was hoping I could find like some heady topper or some sip of sunshine or something. There was one brewery that we wanted to hit on the way that was closed. And we were bummed about that. Cause we figured we'd stock up there and then go up to our condo. Mm. So I'm staring, staring at the beer case and I found one four pack of cloud drop. And so I'm holding that and I'm standing there and like, it must've been 10 minutes. And finally this guy comes up to me and he was like, he's like, you know, dude, he's like, I got some heady topper and sip of sunshine that I sell out of the back of my truck, but I only take cash. And you know, you got to come out. I was like, awesome hookup, right there. It was, like, it was like he knew. It was like he knew what I wanted, and I wasn't satisfied with what I was seeing in the case. <laughs> I was like, put me down, buddy. I'll I'll meet you out there. It was like it was like buying a bag of weed or something, you know? Yeah, I think we know that guy <laughs> you know, actually. About it, and and you're like, you know, it was it was a little crazy, but uh, oh, that's but it was awesome. So, it was, it was just like an awesome score that I don't know. You know, it was just, it was just a cool story. <laughs> did you, um, did you manage, like try that new Killington brewery up there? Killington beer company or whatever it's called. No, no, I haven't. And there was one, I think it's Foley brothers. Have you ever guys? Foley brothers? Yeah, yeah. Their stuff's good. Yeah. So that good was stuff. the one that was on the way and it was closed and we didn't know this. Like I, obviously I had my phone. I should have checked, but oh. we were, we were bummed. Um, so it's like a, it's like a dirt road and like it's like a like their farm. Yeah. I think I heard it's pretty rustic that place. Yeah. Unless they've upgraded yeah. in the last couple of years because a friend of ours went up there about two years ago and said it was just yeah like someone's like their backyard pretty much. Yeah, so, I've heard it's awesome. So we ended up going to Long Trail, which is cool too. You know, I mean it's big right there. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It was fun. So yeah, we always talk about it on our. Uh, we just always again. I, th I think about it now, like this time of year. I'm like, I'll be going there soon. Like Sushi Yoshi. Yeah. Like that place, like you never would think it's just this gem of craft beers. Right. But for whatever reason, the guy who owns that place was like, you know what? I'm going to do sushi. I'm also going to do epic beers. Yep. Yep. If I, if I didn't go to the Killington World Cup, I would have never, I, it would have taken me a lot longer to discover Sip of Sunshine because uh, I was driving home. The first time I went up there, I, I booked a hotel late. So I ended up staying in like White River Junction. And uh, so it was like 20 something miles from Killington. And as I'm driving back, I was like, I see this place. I'm like, I'll just stop here and get a pizza and bring it back to my room with me and wrap up my work there. And so when I go in, I order the pizza and, I'm like, and I see they have a bar and I'm like, oh, I'll, just, I'll have a beer while I wait. And the guy was like, oh, do you like IPAs and craft beer? I was like, yeah. He's like, well, we got this stuff called Sip of Sunshine. And I was like, yeah, put me down. Uh, and, oh my God. It was just like, you know. I think we know that pizza really well. That, that <laughs> eye opening moment. And I'm like, this, this kind of beer exists. This is, <laughs> you know, what? like people like always talk, you know, you always, everyone talks about the best skiing is Utah, Colorado, Wyoming, blah, blah, blah. I'm yeah. like, you know what, Utah, Utah's beer selection, like their, their whole apre beer scene. Like we, we've ranted about it before, yeah. but something like Vermont, it's, it's unbelievable. The kind of beers they're putting out there. And it seems like, like Hedy Topper is like old news now. 
Like it's right. just so good, but people like actually have had it. Beer. Yeah, yeah, because it's like, oh yeah, there's this guy. He used to be a chemist, and now he makes beer in his garage, and it's the best thing we've ever had. Right, right. Now all the rage is treehouse. Everyone, everyone goes out the treehouse in in uh, Charlton, Mass. Nice. I got a can right here. Yeah, my uh, my my buddy lives in Springfield. Oh, so, well, uh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, another buddy went up there, and he uh, he got as much as he could, and uh, yeah, their their stuff is unbelievable yes. yeah yeah in fact uh there's the not only that but you can go there and if you go during the week it's better because the line's a lot longer and and you can go just a little further down the road to sturbridge mass and there's this place called bt's smokehouse it's like the greatest barbecue in the world and you can bring Ooh. you can bring the treehouse beer right in there ah, oh that sounds like uh if, <laughs> if we do make it up there in november we may have to make a little uh a little yeah, side trip. yeah bt's smokehouse yeah. So that's what I do. I, I stock up my own little beer fridge. And when I get home, you know, with the kids and all that, I was actually hoping, I was actually hoping my kid was going to pick uh, this college in Connecticut because then I'd have to drive through Sturbridge all the time and I could hit, I could hit <laughs> and Treehouse on the way. There you go. <laughs> Coming and going, you know? Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, cool. So, hey, so the one thing I wanted to know from you guys, if you don't mind. When I first started listening, I could tell you guys, you know, were started out in New Jersey and, and you were up at Killington a lot because you talked a lot about your, but I was just wondering, like, because I didn't go back and listen to all the early episodes, but like, what's your background in skiing? Like, how'd you guys meet up? Are you guys lifelong friends? And how did, how is it that like Killington's your, your place? It's actually kind of a funny story. All right, great. <laughs> Mario used to be married to my cousin. Yes. <laughs> And um we always like hit it off and we're friends. So yeah, like, we just we just we were started. always kind of buddies and then you know and then my marriage didn't well, work no, out. No, 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 you're married. No, we're we're still talking about you're married now. <laughs> so Mario back in 2008 got a timeshare out in Lake Tahoe. Yeah. Wow. Like January of 2008. And so him and him and his wife at the time, and me and my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife. He's like, they're like, we have all these extra rooms. You guys should come out. So we're like, all right, cool. It's the, you know, never skied out there. And I was, I had skied a little bit in the past and I always played hockey and loved skiing. So I'm like, you know what? I can do this. So we ended up going to like Tahoe. We flew into Reno. We had, a, you know, checked everything out there. Went to that Red's barbecue place that Mario mentioned earlier. Carson City. Carson yeah. City. And then we went to Tahoe and it was, again, they had gotten like seven feet of snow the week Heavenly. before. Yeah. Heavenly. Yeah. We stayed at, uh, in South Lake Tahoe. We had bluebird days for the week it was just a beautiful, oh, beautiful. forecast and uh our the place that we were staying at was right at the base of uh heavenly's one of the um the chairlifts going up not nice. not the main one like right uh, in like the, the nevada side a little bit on the, it was on the california side but it was you know walk out go across the parking lot you're right yeah. at the lift and so it was just hilarious right the gun barrel, which is the uh the gun the barrel, barrel which right there yeah. which was this double black mogul run, which no. when we hadn't skied in, I hadn't skied in a couple of years, saw that I was like, I'm going to die if I ever run on that thing. And they have the Olympic mogul training thing right at the bottom of that. Wow. The, the one Warren Miller movie, I forget the name of the guy. He's like a famous mogul skier. They show him just like bombing down this thing. Like you would ski down like a regular green slope at maximum speed. He's going down that, that double black uh, yeah. mogul wow. run. So first day at, heavenly i'm all like all right cool i'm ready to do this we get off the initial chairlift to go around a turn to go to a green run and i somehow 
fall down, <laughs> pop out of my ski. And it was one of those things where, again, they're not my skis. They were rentals. I didn't know. I hadn't skied in a couple of years. The binding was like in that stuck mid position. So I'm just like jamming my, trying to jam my boot into there. I'm sweating profusely. I'm freaking out. Everyone else had gone down the hill already and around the turn. So I couldn't see them. I didn't have my uh, cell phone because this was like years ago, but when you were afraid your cell phone was going to explode or melt or something in your pocket, I couldn't figure out how to use the walkie-talkie. It was like pure panic oh, mode. I'm so mad at you for not being able to figure out a walkie-talkie. Yeah. Push the button and talk, dude. Dude, That's I was it. in panic mode. So 45 minutes later, someone else comes up. My my, I think it was Nick Andrew, my wife came up and her girlfriend at the time, and she's like helping me get all situated. So... It was, it started off terribly, but again, it was, I, I just fell in love with skiing that day. And you know, we spent the whole week there. And again, this is the first time as like an adult who actually has some money and can actually go out to dinners and go to, you know, go out for beers after there was one day we went to this umbrella bar in the middle of the mountain, having these hot drinks on a cold day, overlooking Lake Tahoe. It was just it just, I fell in love with everything that was skiing that day. And then after that, <laughs> after that, yeah, we just started skiing locally, you know, Poconos and, you know, Mountain Creek in Jersey. And then a few years after that, when the separation, Mario and my cousin separated, we started doing uh, share houses up in Vermont. Yeah. Uh, we started at Mount Snow. And well, I joined the ski club. That was it. And I talked you into going to Zermatt. And then oh, we the same started. Year. No, it was the same year. Same year. Yeah. We, we but, went to Zermatt. Uh, on a on a ski club trip because i was like look i gotta start doing something that i want to connect back with and i started skiing a lot more and that was it joined the ski club and uh then we did the ski house in mount snow that's great and then yeah. we yeah we, we loved it at mount snow but we're like you know what then our buddy bought a, a condo at killington and he was doing a share house there so like yeah let's 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 upgrade now is the time yeah so we started just skiing killington and uh and that was the, the share house at mount snow was like a quarter share so it was like every like once a month you'd go up there um but the killington one was like free range like you could go anytime you want so we would that's what we started our ski bum week we just went up there for a whole week and we're like what would it be like to to really live like a ski bum for a whole week and we were like this is the greatest thing ever how can we just start doing something with this and you know contributing to uh and talking about ski culture that we love so much uh, you know we'd go out we'd go to restaurants we'd go to apre we'd check out just the whole thing ski all day and then just you know try different you know bars and restaurants afterwards and hanging out with new people new ski people that we just meet it was kind of cool you know? Yeah, it's a blast. I know that I know the life exactly. That's what we try to recreate, my buddy and I, every year. And we've done yeah. the same thing. Like it started, it started where we kind of freeloaded on my uncle who had a place up in Lincoln, New Hampshire. And we would go up there. And then we were like, you know, hey, let's go to Lake Placid this year or let's go up to Sugarloaf. You know, it's always been the Northeast because we, we want to drive. We haven't ever flown anywhere yet, but we're thinking when we turn 50, we might try and do like some kind of some kind of like big trip somewhere. But nice. Who knows? We'll see. But that's the way it's been. And I love those weeks. Cause like, you know, you, you meet the guy in the, in the convenience store, who's going to sell you beer out of the back of his truck. And <laughs> that's exactly. And like the, the guy me, who drives like the condo we used to, we did at Killington oh, the guy who drove the bus. Like, cause uh, you know, there's those condos there on the left pinnacle it's called yeah. So they have like a, a free shuttle service. So you just you walk out of your condo bus comes every 10 minutes, picks up, drops you off right at the bottom of, um, uh, I'm I'm blanking out on the uh the mountain. Oh, snowshed. Snowshed, yeah. 
Yep. So the guy, he's like this. I mean, he, if you had to draw a picture and give a voice to the most stereotypical Boston guy ever, <laughs> it's this guy. He was probably like 300 pounds. He's like a little Peter Griffin ish, right? Yeah. He was an absolute gem. Like every time we'd, we just like talk to him, get him all riled up about stuff. And he'd be like, this guy's not doing his job over here. And he's just like yelling and ranting about stuff. Yelling at cars. It was awesome. Oh, it was awesome. He was just a treasure, an absolute yeah, treasure. Good. And he was just like the coolest guy. And he'd give us all kinds of like tips and stuff. He's like, don't go over there, go over there. And um, just, yeah, the people you just talk to and meet and hang out with. It was just uh, just a blast. And something about the about the mountains. I don't know what it is. If it's the cold or the mountains, there's just a, a, yeah. better, a better quality of people, it seems like. Yeah, I agree. It's like a, it's like built-in camaraderie, you know? Yeah. Well, the funny part too is you mentioned skiing with like, you know, reconnecting with your buddy every year, which is like, it's great to do because when else would you do it? Right. Right. When we started doing the ski house, I found out about the ski house because I went to school in Buffalo and I learned how to ski there. Solid ice, very cold, all night skiing. It was, yeah. it was pretty brutal, but I went like 30 times a season because it was like through the school and everything. Um, and my buddy Rem back on Long Island, he never skied. So I graduate school and, you know, married the whole thing. And I haven't, re- I wasn't really skiing that much. Uh, since college, he got involved with doing share houses. So he learned how to ski, started doing share houses. And then I reconnected him with him. And I said, look, dude, you know, he, he was doing the house in Mount Snow. So he kind of got us in there. And it's like, since then, like, you know, it, it's funny. Like I would see him every year and I'm like, yeah, I don't see him any other time except for skiing. Right. Right. That's the way I am. I see my buddy like in January for skiing and then Memorial Day and Labor Day for golf. And that's it. Yeah. That's it. You know, big trips and meet up at the ski house. And uh, yeah, yeah, it's been good. It's a nice little ecosystem of friends that you build, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We have our winter friends and our summer friends. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, yeah, now I moved down to Tampa, which, uh, family things going on and work things going on, but, uh, still going to be skiing. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, I've always, uh, always wondered about that. Like what, what do skiers do when they're stuck in warm weather climates? But I understand you got to do what you got to do, but you plan your trips, man. That's what you do. Well, that's Tampa Tampa ski club that you showed me the links to. They do some legit trips. Yeah. It's a travel club mainly. So you just get a deal through them, but, uh, it's mainly about just, I take all my vacation in the winter (laughs) Yep. And one of the benefits of moving down here was I'm near family. So I don't have to take any split time of vacation with family. I could just do it all for skiing now. So yeah, that's perfect. Great. Yeah. But Sam. All right. Well, uh, any other, uh, parting thoughts? No, I just hope you guys can make it up here to Boston for the ski show. I'd love to show you around. That would be fantastic. Yeah, and we, gonna, our radar. we are, we are, we already talking about it. So we'll, uh, we'll find a way to make it happen. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. We can go get some beers or go out to dinner in the North end or something like that. That would be awesome. So Matt, thank you so much for, uh, for joining us. And if they want to reach out to you, Matt pep 15 on Twitter, that's, that's also right. where they can grab the, uh, the newsletter and subscribe and, uh, check you out every day on, uh, bostonglobe.com. Anything else? That's it. Thanks a lot for having me guys. It was really great to talk to you. Yeah. You as well. Thanks so Thanks. much. We got to do it again sometime. Yeah. That sounds good to me. Hope you enjoyed the, the uh, interview. Um, if you want more information, show notes, some of the links of the things we, we chatted with Matt about, check it out at skibumpodcast.com. Under the ropes. Mario, want to kick it off? All right, so this is-
this time of year, if anybody hasn't, uh, we've been talking about the Tour de France. Um, Primoz Roglic, he's still in fourth, I believe. Um, big climbing coming up, uh, a lot of stuff going on. Uh, that's for the men. Now, Tour de France is only for men. Now, there is, uh, Brian uh, dug up an article, and uh, they kind of explain the real reason why there's no Tour de France for women. So what has happened is they've tried this a bunch of years uh, to try to get a woman's tour. And they actually had one year way back when they had a full woman's tour. Uh, the problem is nobody wanted to carry it on TV. Nobody wanted to, you know, they didn't have a lot of fans go out and watch it. Uh, so they discontinued it. So then it's come back in one form or another doing either parts of the men's tour uh, where they do a few um, stages uh, or they, you know, just do one stage. And I think right now the, the latest is they did it already. And it was, I believe it was one day, one stage, right? So, um, where is it? Uh, 2015, 2016. Then they had this, they had a second day, day to La Course in 2017. Um, and then they didn't. Yeah, so they said the coverage was horrible. Uh, not a lot of people went out. Um, so I guess it's just it's a it's a problem, you know, with just making the transition right now. Uh, the biggest thing that pisses me off about this whole thing is NBC Sports. Uh, they charge fifty dollars to see the women's event alone. So to see the men's event, I think they only charge you. I think it's like twenty five bucks to see the three weeks of the Tour de France. But for the one or two days for the women's, they charge you 50 bucks. So that seems completely insane. Yeah. I don't, you know, NBC sports, I really don't like NBC when they play around with stuff. Cause they've done stuff like, I think, what was it? The basketball championship, the, um, final four, that final game was on, uh, NBC sports. Wasn't on the regular network. Are you serious? Really? Yeah. I think that was one of the games. There was, there was something that made me furious. And I think that might've been one of them. Uh, they'll do that with football. They'll do that with everything. And I'm just like, you know, you guys are just shills trying to get people to sign up for your station. And it's not even carried on the regular, like, you know, just the basic package. That's usually like an add on, you know, uh, to some, some of the uh, cable packages. So it just it infuriates me when you, when it was on versus they were, you know, they bought versus, which was the old channel. And then they turned it NBC sports and just basically try to suck any money out of, anybody watching a non sport that they wanted to put well, they're, on. They're like, owned by Comcast, aren't they? Isn't that kind of their job to just vacuum money out of your wallet? That's pretty much what they're doing. <laughs> so, but it's kind of, you know, so now there's a lot of questions coming up because there's been a huge push in women's cycling in the U S especially, uh, but all around the world. And they're, they're putting together some really cool, like they have a tour in the UK that draws a ton of people for, for this women's event. And they're saying it's just the, you know, it's just that environment. I guess the the culture and, and the environment there, like they get more fans. But the uh, in France, they don't want to watch women uh, women ride. So very interesting to see. But uh, hopefully they're going to keep pushing. I know that's getting a lot of attention now. And I'd love to see a, a women's tour of France. You know, yeah, or La Course, yeah. whatever they want to call it. La, they called it La Course by Le Tour de France. Hmm. I'm sure it's only a matter of time before it's going to happen. Yeah. There's some really good women riders and, 
you know, this is another thing you're talking about an endurance sport, you know, you're talking, you know, this is, this is just how, how well can you ride over, you know, three weeks for the tour de France. So if you only have a few days, you know, they have throughout the year for men, they have these races that are, some of them are five days, some of them three, some of them one. Um, but I guess, you know, to see the women get into the longer, uh, events too is, uh, would be good to see. I think it's competitive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Oh, and to, uh, just to correct your, your primos. Oh, what is he? Uh, he's in third place. Oh, he moved up. Moving on up. He's two minutes and 24 seconds behind the leader. Uh, is that, a, oh, I wonder, I didn't see the end of today. So I wonder he was in a breakaway. Jerain uh, Thomas is in first place still. Yeah. Gerard, uh, Gerard. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool though, about the, the female the women's tour de France. Well, if you saw tour de pharmacy, it addresses women in a tour de France as well. Yeah. That's in a very interesting way. Classic movie. Yes. Next up. This is from our pals over at Uncrate who always have a lot of really cool gadgets and yacht related things and cars and gadgetry. So they had a, uh, a um, email this week about the new black fly flying car. Cool. Which it actually takes a, a, a big leap from current electric cars as it's actually an electric personal aerial transportation system that you won't need thousands of hours of training to fly. Oh my God. It's just <laughs> so dangerous. <laughs> Listen, you can't nerf the world. Not dangerous, but dangerous for like getting hit by other people flying these cars. Yup. Just getting hammered and jumping in your, your private flying car. Oh, they're bad already on, on four wheels. Triple redundant flight systems, distributed isolated battery cells, and features like cruise control and landing assist mean the Black Fly is simple and intuitive to operate. With vertical takeoff and landing capability and a storage format that's the size of a small trailer, the Black Fly can be stored or transported nearly anywhere. Wow. Uh, the parent company opener hopes to bring the black fly to market next year for about the price of a well-equipped SUV. Get out of here. So I have a well-equipped Subaru Outback, which was about 40 grand. So does that mean I can get a $40,000 flying car? There you go. You get a flying car. Dude, this thing looks really crazy. Like it looks very futuristic. It's very cool looking. It's like a person sized drone. It looks like, yeah, it's exactly what I was going to say. It looks like a drone. It's got, I guess, eight little, like, hella blades. Yeah. You know, like a, the same kind of propellers that a drone would have. You know, it's going to take one accident and a giant lawsuit, and they're going to stop selling these, like, right away. Yeah. I don't know. I was putting on my makeup, and I just crashed. I was on the phone. I was texting. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. What? I'd feel better if it was, like, totally flown by computer. Seriously, right? Yeah, it's not for me, but for other people. (laughs) Yeah, it's a single seat, you know, vehicle is what it's saying. Vertical takeoff and landing. It's ultra light controls, joystick, fly by wire electronics. Uh, How many celebrities are going to die in the first year crashing these things? Oh, I think Charlie Sheen's already dead with this thing, isn't he? He's going to be like, I got to go to the red carpet on this thing. Boom, <laughs> dropping out of the sky. Okay, so they have some of the features listed on the oh. website. Now, I'm not sure if this is a feature or if this is like a, a, a concern. Easy assembly, 
from storage to sky in 30 minutes. <laughs> That's a long ass time. Dude, it takes me that much time to change a tire on a car. You're not I, just going quick and get in your car. <laughs> I can build a plane to fly in in less than 30 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Then it, yeah, it's, it's small to fit uh, within a small trailer once you disassemble it. That's pretty cool. It looks really cool. And I can see this being used. Like if you have a farm, right? Perfect. You have a bunch of acres, jump in this thing, you go ride around rather than ride a horseback or, or a car. Now you get an air view your whole farm. Like that I could see. Wow. It weighs, it, weighs, it weighs 313 pounds. Wow. That really is ultralight. You're not going out in a heavy uh, wind on that. No. Now, could you use this if you were a Canadian who was buying weed and wants to get to America? Yes, that's, I, I think they're weed transport devices. This, this could be their first, you know, their first uh, sales could be in the British Columbia area. People want to get back into America. Weed Uber. Just go, just go back and forth. between. Back and forth, dropping off weed. Just yeah. strap the weed bales to the side. Why don't they water and drop them? Why don't they build it out of weed? Oh, even better. Just like hack off like a a propeller. There you go. Yeah. Weed. <laughs> Maybe that's not a good idea. Got a hundred miles out of it. Now I can hack it off and smoke it. <laughs> so yeah, we'll have the link to the black fly so you can check it out. All right, well, we're going to go from flying cars to really crappy cars. So. <laughs> Tata is going to stop. If anybody doesn't know Tata, uh, they are um, Tata. They were Tata Consulting Services, the phone centers. So they started out like we knew them as, you know, the the people that took over the phone centers and all the outsourcing. Uh, They're a huge company. They actually own, I think, almost like a huge percentage of all the tea in the world, like all the tea companies. I think they bought Tetley. So pretty much they're a monopoly in India. Uh, that just kind of gets bigger and bigger and it's family owned. But I'm sure there's corruption. I don't know. I, I should stop talking because I have my own personal. <laughs> they are a publicly traded company. Oh, okay. In the Indian exchange or regular exchange? I think it's in the U.S. Yeah, there's Tata Consultancy Services, TCS. There's, there's a whole bunch of stuff. They actually sponsor the uh, New York Marathon. Oh, sorry. Tata Motors is on the U S stock exchange. Uh-huh. So anyway, so they're going to stop selling this car because it focused too much on the pure cost and not enough on value. Uh, now I, I don't know why, but I guess they consider value not blowing up. So they, <laughs> they have a lot of quality and safety issues. So they're saying, uh, it had problems from the start, didn't roll off the line until 2009. And there were a huge amount of issues. Um, they mentioned the catching fire um, and basically what they were doing was selling subpar um, vehicles for, because of the price tag. Now, I personally, I remember I had some people, people I worked with that were from India working over here. They actually worked for Tata and I'll never forget when they came out with this car, they were offered an employee only offer to get a signed version of this signed by the Tata, I guess the head guy, his name was Tata. Um, and it was like a plate that they put like 
you know, welded in by the VIN and it was like, had his signature on it. And I was like, I looked at the car. I remember one guy was showing me and he's like, Oh wow, look at this. They're coming out with that. I'm like, what do you mean they're making cars? He's like, I didn't know they, you know, that's when I looked into all the stuff that they own. But, uh, I guess apparently in India, he's like, yeah, I had a Tata bike. Like they make bikes, they make all sorts of stuff, lunch boxes. I was like, wow. So you brace it basically can live your entire life using all Tata products. And he's like, oh yeah. It was, it was pretty interesting. This car, I look at this car and you know, like when you were a little kid, that cozy coupe, <laughs> that plastic thing, that plastic car that all the kids have, it was like red with the yellow roof. Yeah. It looks like that with windows. Look how small those wheels are. Those wheels are smaller than like my lawnmower wheels. The headlights on that car are bigger than the wheels. It makes a Prius look like a friggin' S-Class Mercedes. <laughs> I can hold, a Prius could take like two of those in the, in the trunk. This thing looks like it's made out of tin foil. Yeah, there is no way that's safe at all. There's no possible way. Like it makes a smart car look like a freaking S-Class Mercedes. Now, if all the cars were nanos in the world, that's a different story because these bumping into each other would kind of be fun. It'd be like, ha ha ha, you'd bump into each other and laugh and then you'd keep driving, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this thing looks like the biggest piece of shit ever. Yeah. So. Like, I think I could build a more sturdy looking car out of the things in my basement right now. Man, it just looks cheap. I mean, and that's basically what happens. They made the cheapest car they could make. What was it? Do they, they don't tell the uh, sticker price of it. Was it like four grand or something? Did they sell them here? Uh, I think they tried to, but they wouldn't let them. They're like, these don't pass. Oh, $2,500. <laughs> oh, can I have like a pack of those? Isn't just your give bike? Away. Isn't your bicycle more than that? Uh, actually, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah. My buddy Steve just bought a new bike. Probably twice the size, twice the cost of it. Jesus. And this was in two thousand eight dollars. You know. And they called it. They called it the the person's car, the people's car. I wonder if like there's an old one for sale. Just get like a a used one. Uh. How much can a used one be? Like two hundred bucks. I'll give you two hundred bucks. You give me the nano. Walk away. Dude, that'd be the perfect thing. You know how much money I'd save? The insurance on that would be like five bucks. A two-cylinder engine. Not that now for sale. Wow. $2,500. Anybody knows of one for sale, let me know. Uh, if it's raining instead of riding my bike, I could just ride this one. Be great. Wow. I think they have an auto trader. <laughs> I don't think they were allowed to sell them here. I think they were just too shitty. Wow. I remember reading about there's a, a company in the guy that created Yugo went to China and was creating mass produced in this car in China. And he wanted to bring it here, but they were having all these hurdles because they had to do all these safety upgrades to bring it in. They're like, yeah, it blew away the price. It's like, yeah, because you have safety stuff that we need. Yeah. They're like, Oh, safety. We put the factor that in, in the uh, return on investment analysis. Oh, you mean you want airbags? You know, that's going to cost money that blows up, you know, now it's an extra thousand dollars. I'm sorry. And when you got a billion people in your country, that's a third of the size of the U.S. There's, a, there's, there's, there's room to lose a few people. So they're like, yeah, we don't need safety standards. Then again, you're not going more than 20 miles an hour with that many people. Yeah, that's true. Uh, the roads in India are apparently very, very packed. 
That's what I've heard too. Yeah. I know a few people that have gone there, like literally there's like two or three people riding on a moped and it's like chaos. There's people diving in and out of cars and it's just crazy. Speaking of crazy, another next story coming up. (laughs) There is now a blockchain based betting platform named Augur, which allows you to bet on assassination markets. And you bet on the assassinations? You bet on the assassinations, yes. Wow, so they take odds. I wonder what Trump's at, because you know he's got to be pretty high up there. Well, it's created by the nonprofit Forecast Foundation. Augur launched its Ethereum mainnet-powered predictions platform on July 9th, according to Fortune. Now, if you, if you don't know about, you're not familiar with the cryptocurrency space, Ethereum is one of the more popular cryptocurrencies, and they're... Their whole blockchain is creating this quote unquote world computer. So you can build different applications on, on their, their system, on their blockchain. And this auger is a new blockchain built upon the Ethereum blockchain. So to get to it, you have to be on that system. Yes. Uh, In the Ethereum system. It looks like you could bet on anything like sports, a whole bunch of stuff. Bet on a whole lot of different stuff. But what they do have is, so if there's a lot of things you can bet on. Yes. So if a user believes an outcome will happen, then you can buy shares of it using Ethereum, ETH, their their cryptocurrency. And then if a a user believes that the event will not occur, you can short the bet by selling shares. In either case, should a user's prediction come true, they can profit from the result. So users have recently posted bets on Augur regarding the deaths of a number of public figures, such as U.S. President Donald Trump and CEO of Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett. The bet, will Trump, president of the U.S., be killed at any point in 2018, has acquired 50.3 shares as of July 23rd. Jeez, that's pretty rough. Yeah. Well, I guess you could look at it as an assassination pool, or you could look at it as just a dead pool. Right? You die somehow. Like you're betting on people to die. People have done that for years. Well, you can bet on it, but you also bet against it. Right, right. You know, so and then too, I think their their concern is is that are people going to bet so much that they say, "Uh oh, I'm going to lose this bet unless I take things into my own hands." Well, yeah, that's I guess some of the danger. They got to stay danger with the Deadpool, right? Yeah, you're not saying how they die. You're just hoping they die. I guess. Yeah. But they are saying that this was not the first example of an an assassination market. Back in 2013, an online market was created where users set out to fund the assassinations of Ben Bernanke and then Uh, President Barack Obama. Jeez. So (laughs) So there's a precedent for this. Well, they said while the current markets on Augur merely place a bet on whether such an event will happen, should the wager be high enough, it could create an incentive for someone to carry out the crime, like what I said before. Wow. Well, somebody like Warren Buffett, I mean, they're just betting on it because of his age. That's like a Deadpool kind of bet. That's true, yeah. But I guess it depends how it's worded. Like, right, will Donald Trump be killed at in this year? So that's a that saying will he be yeah, assassinated or that's pretty messed up. Yeah. So you know what? There's always something fascinating happening in the cryptocurrency world every day. You know, it's funny though. Like, I think, you know, people think it's funny. They're like, oh yeah, you know, I'll bet on Donald Trump, blah, blah, blah. And I always think about like, what if it was you they were betting on? Just out of the movie, they said, hope you fucking drop that. 
like you'd be like, what is going on? <laughs> like, wouldn't you be like, what, what? I didn't know this was going on. Somebody's betting on me to die. Thanks, Dick. Thanks. I just think that's pretty rough. Yeah. Wow. There's all sorts of stuff. It's the free market. That's what happens in the free market. Supply and demand. I got to like get more tech advanced on, on blockchain. Cause I'd like to see what's on there. What bets are on there. Yeah. It's worth you checking know, out. You know, the stupid shit, like will the, you know, you could bet on the coin flip for a game or will so-and-so shoot so many three pointers or will a streaker run on the field at the game that you're going to. <laughs> will someone get naked at the gym today? <laughs> That's right. Now, if you're going to a planet fitness, in New Hampshire. Recently, there was a man arrested at a Planet Fitness in New Hampshire for um, working out naked. So I guess apparently what happened is he stripped naked before working out in this New Hampshire Planet Fitness and started doing um, yoga and Pilates exercises. <laughs> and he was asked to leave. So uh, he... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, he was doing poses on a yoga mat, and he apparently referenced Planet Fitness slogan that it is a judgment-free zone. So he got arrested um, because police were judging the fact that he was breaking the law, and (laughs) he's free on bail. So, Hey, isn't New Hampshire the live free or die state? Yeah, that guy's uh, he's ride or die right there, man. He's all up with that. God, that's freaking awesome. <laughs> He's like doing stretching and, pull, and <laughs> just like yoga. Just like down facing dog. Down facing dog, full facing junk. And he looks very unwashed based on his mugshot. Ah. He's probably just ass and balls just stunk. So, what is down facing dog naked? Is that called something else? I think it's the same thing. That's crazy stuff, man. Come on, man. This is a judgment-free zone. Not judging you, but you're naked and poor. He was eating Tootsie Rolls while he was doing it. Ah. Those free Tootsie Rolls they give out when you go there. Cupcakes. They got pizza sometimes. Yeah. He looks exactly like you think the guy who would get naked and start exercising at the Planet Fitness would look like. Hey, maybe that's a, maybe that's a new brand of Planet Fitness. You can come in naked. Naked Fitness. Why not, right? Yeah, you have a naked section for Planet Fitness. Just you want to be naked while you're working out. Just you got to sign an extra waiver in case anything gets caught or clamped. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. there could be some pretty severe accidents with some weights or some bell, you know, wires or something going on. I don't know. Doing a lat pull and all of a sudden something gets stuck in there. Oh, yeah, you don't want that. Yeah. Don't drop the weights because you might drop it on something else. Yeah. Same. Well, maybe like hedonism can sponsor like a, a certain collection of planet fitnesses. I wonder if they have like a gym at like hedonism or one of those new things. Well, like I've heard, gym. I've heard allegedly that if you live in like a, uh, a relatively gay area and you go to the gyms there, it's pretty much like a, like a freaking party in the locker rooms. Oh, really? Yeah. Like if you're in, you know, disco ball going, everybody. Yeah. There's like little signals you got to give out too. Like if you leave like the, like the shower thing cracked a little bit, you're like ready to party. Really? 
And I guess if you were a straight man, yeah, go to anyway. you were just like, I'm just trying yeah. to go to the, I just, I just work next door. Like I'm just trying to go to a gym that's close by. Go to the gym, man. Some dude just comes in with a freaking Viagra up hard on, just trying to party Raging. with you. Raging boner. Let's party. Boner yeah. you back. Yeah. I just wanted to do, I just want to use elliptical for half an hour. This is not what I expected. I'd like a refund, please. That's crying, shaking. I just wanted fitness. Yeah. Wow, you got the full... I just wanted to work my flactoids. <laughs> you got the bonus plan, buddy. That's right. Damn. Yep. Well, since we're keeping it sexy, we might as well finish up on a sexy note. Serial killer accidentally kills himself in jail during sex act. Now, you know, we, we rarely hear about international serial killers, but this is a gentleman from Germany who had murdered five female hitchhikers accidentally killed himself while performing a strange solo sex act in his prison cell over the weekend. Yeah. Egidius Schiffer dubbed the Aachen strangler gave himself a fatal electric shock after tying a cable from a lamp around his penis and nipples. Police said, what now how different is a German prison to an American prison where they actually yeah, the have lamp. lamps and plugs for a serial killer. Like he for a serial to... killer. Yeah. He was still tied up when guards at Bochum prison in the North Rhine Westphalia state opened his room Monday morning. Got a cell a room. A room. <laughs> like the freaking uh, courtyard by Marriott here. Jeez. The prison spokeswoman, Candita Tunkel, said he removed a cable from his bedside table lamp. Then he wound it around his nipples and his penis and stuck the end in the tower socket. <laughs> Holy shit. Don't they have like 220? I love that the prison spokeswoman had to say that. Holy, they have like 220 voltage. It's not like 110. Really? I think so. That's why they have the converters. So when you plug in your little, you know, the uh, Apple cubes. Oh, yeah, yeah. 210 or 120. And we're one, uh, we're 120 or 110, whatever it is. Oh, man. So it was like double the, uh, yeah. So double the output. Like basically getting electrocuted by the washing machine plug, which is that 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 could be fatal. Yeah. Wow. So a post mortem established that Schiffer, sixty two, died of heart failure as a result of electric current flowing through his chest. Cops said they did not expect, suspect foul play, and his lawyer claimed the murderer was not suicidal. He was sentenced to life in two thousand eight for a string of grisly murders committed between eighty three and nineteen ninety. The authorities used DNA evidence to convict him 18 years after his final murder. How much does that suck? Wow. You think you're like, you're like 17 years in. You're like, I got away with it. I killed those bitches. I'm just partying now. I'm living yeah. my life. And then all of a sudden. The long arm of the law, man. That's right. Got gotcha, you, bitch. Gotcha. Gotcha, motherfucker. Yep. He picked up his victims, one of whom was just 15. Ugh as they tried to hitch rides home from nightclubs before handcuffing and tying them up. Wow. Well, he raped three of the women and buried them in the woods. He was a uh-huh. former insurance salesman arrested back in 2007 while stealing scrap metal. Oh, wow. he had a downward spiral somewhere in there. Yeah, seriously. He decided to give a DNA sample voluntarily that eventually convicted him, that connected him to the unsolved murders. Oh, Wow. You you just couldn't freaking uh, just keep it together. People are can't crazy. Stop. Can't stop people from doing it. 
Hey, we're all a little we're all a little screwed up in our own special ways. That's what makes us interesting. Exactly. Right. Well, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. And thank you again to Matt for, for the interview. We, uh, we really enjoyed chatting with you. So for more information and for links, check it out, skibumpodcast.com. Follow us on all the socials, twitter.com slash skibumpodcast, instagram.com slash skibumpodcast, facebook.com slash skibumpodcast. You're also on Pinterest as the Highfalutins, and we are on SoundCloud as Highfalutin-Skibum. Thank you guys again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, I say gluten. See you.